Hey everyone, Rob here, your host of the Inking Out Loud podcast. After a quick discussion with Drew, we decided that we're going to insert a quick disclaimer at the beginning of this episode and warn you that we are not going to be censoring one particular curse word. And that word, brace yourself for it, is asshole. And you will see why we chose not to censor that particular curse word later in this episode. So thank you everybody, and please enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Uh, now, just a reminder before we begin that if you like our content and you want to, you know, access to bonus content, including early access to episodes, check out our Patreon page. Uh, I'm your host, as always, Rob Santos. I'm joined today by my co-host, as always, Drew McCaffrey. What's up, Drew? How's it going, everybody? And making another podcast debut today is Drew's friend, Rob Winchell. Hey. Now, for episode 29, we're diving into the first half of The Great Hunt, book two of The Wheel of Time. And last week, we planned to read everything up to and through chapter 23. Uh, So now I'm going to pass this off to Drew for a brief recap of what we've read. Drew, my man, take it away, dude. Yeah, uh, I I like doing these recaps for the early Wheel of Time books because they're way more straightforward than the the future ones. Uh, In The Great Hunt, we basically start off right where we left off in Faldara at the end of Eye of the World. Uh, Rand knows he can channel now. He's uh, just chilling out, trying to decide how he's going to handle that. Meanwhile, the Amerlin Seat herself, the leader of the Aes Sedai, rolls up into town with a bunch of other Aes Sedai and warders and everything. And uh, Rand is trying to escape, but can't, and gets summoned. Meets her, is told that he is the Dragon Reborn. Meanwhile, the Horn of Valir and the Shadow Logoth Dagger have been stolen by Pat and Fane and a bunch of Dark Friends and Shadow Spawn, and they flee. So a group uh, with Rand, Matt, and Perrin, as well as Lord Ingtar and Loyal and a bunch of Shinaran soldiers chases after them. And Egwin and Nynaeve then get sent off to Tarvalon to go get trained, uh, where... Uh, Nynaeve arrives and is immediately subjected to the testing to become an accepted, which she passes. And uh, that's about where we're at. I, well, I guess on, on the Horn of Valir hunt, um, Rand, uh, Loyal, and Hurin also inadvertently use a portal stone. They go through one of the mirror worlds, get ahead of the group, come back to the real world, and ambush Fane and recover the horn and the dagger. So that's pretty much essentially where we're at yeah sweet all right so uh rob so we have two robs today we're gonna have to figure out how we're going to clearly whenever i'm addressing a rob or other rob is addressing a rob (laughs) we know what we're going to be doing but when you drew are addressing a rob you might have to add like a caveat there the canadian rob or something yeah if you want to go as sexy rob i'm fine oh shots (laughs) fired handsome handsome rob opening big i like it on the inking out loud (laughs) you can even go with ed you can even go with ed sheeran (laughs) i can see that (laughs) i can actually actually. absolutely see that too that's not actually completely retract that one one. (laughs) well no no, if if necessary i'll just call you zach it's too late now man you gave me the ammo (laughs) <laughs> so um, yeah, let's you know let, let's start discussing 
The Great Hunt. Now, this is a book for me that I didn't know existed for the longest time when I was a teenager. I thought The Eye of the World was the, was the only book. I wasn't really a big, um, I don't know, I wasn't into large series at that point. Like I had said previously, I was like 11 years old. But I found The Great Hunt one day in my school library. The, the Great Hunt of all books. There, were, there was no other Wheel of Time books anywhere else in that school library. But I found The Great Hunt, and I picked it up, and I read it, and I saw the name Randall Thor in the back, and I was like, Oh my god, there's more? So yeah. I just consumed this book as a young man. And going through it this time, I mean, I found myself, I think I was finished my reread, like on Tuesday. And I still had Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday where I had to try and stop myself from reading on further and further in the book because I'm just so invested at this point. How about you guys? Did you find that uh, difficult at all? I, I found it, fun fact, this was actually the first one that I did the audiobook for because after the first book, I was so convinced I was pronouncing everything wrong in my head. Sure, <laughs> I sure. needed it. I, need, I needed it so that I was sure I was pronouncing things correctly, and I was pronouncing... I actually nailed Nynaeve in my head. That that one was good. Oh. But do but we take like, Michael Kramer's pronunciation as just kind of canon for these things? Was he? Do we know if he was actually in close collaboration with Robert Jordan at the time? Because there are a few names I... So, yeah, uh, the, the audiobook pronunciations change over the course of the series, well, yeah, and they do really, get some things recorded wrong, over a but mostly, mostly, mostly they get it right. Yeah. I'll say that. So I didn't know that because I just did this one and I think uh, the Sanderson ones on audiobook. Those are the oh, only okay. ones I've ever heard on audiobook. Yeah, I know so. I know there are like some names like um, Mogedian is also called, like they call her Mogadine. That's points, how I started and, like, with her. Mogadine. Yeah. I did too. Yeah. And, then, like, yeah. and, and Semiraj so is better. also called Semirog. Semirog. With, like, a, yeah. It, it, yeah. So like they, they change. I was saying like Semiraj but... for a while. Yeah, I don't Semiraj. Know why I don't, that's I don't how know why it's that pronounced. Was, yeah. yeah. Really, I prefer Semirog. It sounds like a like a I don't know like there's a an demon e or something end. like that. Yeah, I know there's, there's an e on the end. end. But I mean, yeah. this is fantasy, <laughs> right? <laughs> but know. anyway, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like I, I, I absolutely devoured the Great Hunt when I first got it. Um, you know, I, I was. I mean, I, it was it was the first book that I read in the Wheel of Time where I was like you know, fully invested. The, when I first read Eye of the World, I, I, as I said earlier, you know, it, it took me a little while to get into it. I was, like, in my Star Wars phase and was resistant to reading anything else. And then when I finished it, I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. And as soon as I got my hands on The Great Hunt, I, I went through it in, like, two days. So, yeah. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I agree. Like, the the first one, I, I only, my first read-through on these books was only, like, four or five years ago, maybe. And I, I since then, I've done, like, two rereads. And it's been... Amazing. The the first one, the first time through, it took me like two, three false starts to get through. No and then kidding. I, I I finished. Yeah, yeah. And then and then, but this one was just this one was easy. I was I was in and out of this book in like I don't know three days max. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it was it was so good. And like I don't know, maybe it's because it hindsight's always twenty twenty. It was like there wasn't a lot of like the relationship stuff that may or may not be frustrating to some people. Things like that. It was sure. just It yeah. was just straightforward. You know. I and I I love the I love the plot of it. You know. I, I love how I love how it starts with like Rand getting you know awesome fatherly advice. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I so much to discuss with that. Scene. Oh yeah, we'll yeah. we'll be talking about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just stuff like that. I, I love I love the portal stone scenes. I love meet uh, you know Rand first meets Forsaken things like that. Yep. Uh, yep. That's all great. I, I I love all those. There's so many scenes that just stuck with me throughout all the rereads, that, and they just come okay. from here. Good. This the is something boy. I should have made sure yeah. to ask before we started. Rob, you've read the entire thing. Yes. Absolutely. I have, yes. Good. I have okay. Read the entire Can't thing, believe yes. I didn't even think to ask that until just now. Um, but but no. So like, kind of on the subject of you know things that stick with you, and 
and uh, the reasons behind them. You know, we talked a little bit in our Eye of the World episodes about how Robert Jordan writes and and his writing style. And I think we should kind of carry that over into the Great Hunt. And oh yeah, and you know there are, there are a few things that really stand out in this book even more than in the Eye of the World, because uh, in Eye of the World we talked more about like his descriptions, his flowery painting a scene, that kind of a thing. In the Great Hunt, there are different things that stand out to me. Um, one of them is that he has a real like uh, penchant for ceremony. Oh, uh, ceremony indeed. is very important in the first half. How could of that just be like a Shinaran thing? Well, but it, it goes beyond the the Shinarans. You know, it, there's Nynaeve's testing. There's Rand meeting oh, yeah, yeah. Amerlin. Fair. You know, there there are these scenes that have weight added to them by ceremony that we don't really understand. You know, and even Rand doesn't understand it. And that's like again, it's one of the things that Robert Jordan does so well is he. He's able to show you things that, you know, like he doesn't explain them beforehand, but you come out the other side understanding them nonetheless. Like, it's, and, and these ceremonies are one of those things. And it's something I really appreciate in this book. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily, I, you actually might have even changed my mind a little bit on it, just saying it that way, because my <laughs> opinion always was like, oh, it's, you say ceremony, I describe it as, in my head, it was like bureaucracy. Like the entire <laughs> testing scene is like, uh, procedural. Yeah, process, more process. It's like we, and, but but how you describe it makes more sense to me, and and I do like it that way. Actually, he he describes the ceremony so well to the point where I just feel like I get it. I get why they do it. Yeah, I can still be much like bureaucracy. I I can be frustrated <laughs> by it, but still understand its purpose no, I, and respect it for that. I feel like I'm kind of falling somewhere in between you two because when I was a young man and I read this for the first time as a young teenager, I was kind of in awe of all of this. Like, I was like, this sounds so cool. Oh, my God. Ingtar. I loved Ingtar as a young man. I was just so invested in this guy. All this ceremony, all the, all these things at the Shinarans, like the, the arrival of the Amarlin, the parting of the Amarlin, I was just kind of like like a magpie seeing a gold coin. I was like, oh, this is so cool. But now reading it with, you know, with older eyes as a much more experienced reader and having been through this whole series a few times, I'm, I'm kind of trying to take a step back and read this with an objective eye. And I don't know, part of me is like, this is a little too much, but I still enjoy it. And I can't decide if it's because it's just that good or if, if I'm just kind of a little biased because the younger Rob is still inside of me, just still completely in awe of, of, of everything in Robert Jordan's world, you know? Yeah, so <laughs> there's an interesting thing that I think kind of brings in both Rob's points of view here. Both Rob's. Um, both and, Rob's. and that is actually Rob the squared. departure of <laughs> the Aes Sedai from Faldara, where even the characters in the scene are, like like Swan Sanchez specifically, mm -hmm. is... Yeah, she is. Um, she's like, all right, let's let's get this ceremony done. Let's get out of here. Like, we got to go. We got like Swan we're wasting time, you know. And like, why is she so like, impatient in this scene? Either what does she have to get back to the White Tower with such haste for? <laughs> You're right. She's well, lived forever. because, Who cares? because <laughs> she she knows now that Rand is the Dragon Reborn, and that Dragon Reborn has been found, and she knows for sure. Like, I got to get back to my seat of power to lay my plans. I just view her as like a crotchety old that? woman at that point. It's fine. <laughs> well, she wasn't sure. Hmm. She just knew about like, you know, Moiraine showing up in Faldara, yeah. and like she didn't know for sure that it was the Dragon Reborn. 
And Maureen could um, not have found a way to include that in the message or something. I don't know. Cause they, uh, well, Maureen didn't know for sure at that point. Maureen didn't know for sure when she sent the message. Yeah, when, it, do we know when she sent the, so that message? So Swan, Swan talks about it, that she got a... Uh, um, she had to she got it before they left. Pigeons. In I thought room. she knew at that point. Yeah. This is, okay, so, this is so she straight says it, um, uh, talking about the pigeons. And... Uh, all right, let's see here. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember. I, it, I believe it's that first time she's summoned. Chris. And uh, and she like she's upset with Moiraine, and she's like, "You're like you sent me one pigeon from Berlon and then another one from Camelin, just saying, by the way, I'm not coming to Tarvalon. Yeah, okay. So she says, since you left the tower, I've had only two messages from you. Two. I feel as if I'm trying to sail the fingers of the dragon in the dark. One message to say you are entering the two rivers, going to this village, this Emmons field. Then word from Camelin to say you were coming to Shianar to Faldara, not Tarvalon. So that is what sent her to Faldara. Oh yeah, okay, okay. So, like, that message said nothing about, like, you know... I don't know. Oh, I have the dragon reborn. Feels like I know it would have been. It was I mean, like they, had the, they had the. They had a cipher in the dragon reborn out though. I think later the shepherd holds the sword. That kind of thing. Like why couldn't they yeah. have? I don't know. Agreed something like that beforehand. I don't know. It just seems like. Well, because she didn't know quick. which one of the three it was. Hmm. Oh, point. Good point. Actually. So. Yeah. So you know, uh, discussing uh, Robert Jordan's style here, I do have a few points about yeah. his style and how it changes a little more in this one as opposed to the Eye of the World. Uh, sorry, were you finished your point entirely, though? I don't want to kind of cut you off. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, one thing I want to discuss is, is something I'm starting to notice a little more here, and this is Jordan's habit of invoking hyperbole. He, he, he I don't know, He see, it seems to be getting more and more pronounced. Like, for example, I have a moment in Chapter 10 chosen out where we have a scene with two Shinarns. I want to say it was Masima and Rhaegon. Uh, the they, they cross a river to retrieve a fairy that the dark oh. friends had previously, you know, commandeered. And, the, and the, I quote here, the text says, In less time than Rand expected, they were hauling themselves over the slatted sides of the fairy. Drawing their daggers, they disappeared into the trees. It's a paragraph break. After what seemed like forever, the two men reappeared and began pulling the fairy slowly across. And there's something about that that particular choice of words. I just I wrote down, really? It seemed like Forever? And you pass the time by with a single sentence? I don't know. It just it kind of read pretty abruptly for what ostensibly felt like a long time. And I, I feel like this is just kind of indicative of how we're going forward with with Robert Jordan's, like I said, his, his knack for, or his penchant, his proclivity, I should say, for reaching for the top shelf and just going straight for that hyperbolic statement. What about you? See, I saw, like, at least that particular sentence as... It wasn't really that long that they were in the trees, but to Rand, who was scared and, and you know, not oh, sure what's course. going on, you know, to him, it felt like they were gone a long time, even though it and may I have can been see that, only been But moments. I just feel like Jordan could have expanded upon that, kind of given us a little more insight into Rand's thought process as he was kind of feeling like this was forever. Because just to say, after what felt like forever, it just kind of felt like being brushed aside, like swept under the rug for me. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. I, I, it seems perfect to me, actually, because, yep. you know, Rand is late teens early 20s that's that's exactly what i would think oh, it seems like forever <laughs> just, it just takes even forever. if it just takes like yeah. a even if you have nothing but the time for that thought it's like oh it's taking yeah. forever 
Exactly. No, he is he is a very young man. He can be very impatient too, and he is still I, I, growing. I chalk almost all the bad decisions up that I feel characters make in these books to the fact that they're like late teens, early twenties, and then that's it's like <laughs> yeah. yeah, it makes sense. You know that that's fair. Yeah, I would well, probably do the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> when you think back to what you were like at nineteen, you're like. Oh uh, yeah, I would have been dead like so long ago. With these <laughs> yeah, books. Yeah. I have had a few of those particular moments. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, Could they handle appendicitis in this time? Like, is that a thing? Like, hold on, say again. Actually, sorry, I, I do believe they make mention. Oh, actually, no. Never mind. I'm, I'm dumb. I'm All I heard confusing was itis. with the the. Oh, uh, right. appendicitis. Oh, appendicitis. Could, like, um, is, uh, that, is that like a thing they worry I'm about? I'm sure it could be healed. Uh, I was I was about to say I think they make mention of surgery, but that I, that's actually something in the Black Company, not the Wheel of Time. Um, yeah, is, is surgery and like medical care really? I mean, mentioned? like I said, I could heal it. I'm sure. Yeah, you're right. You're I right. don't know it's, about like it's like the Harry Potter thing. Like they don't have dentists because you know they they wave a wand. And, yeah, you know, yeah. I think fixed, yeah. if you live in Robert Jordan's world of the Wheel of Time, especially in Randlands, I think you either have the option of going to like a witch doctor. Or a magician. There's kind of no in between. I don't think there's anybody that really specializes. Maybe we see like herbal women, uh, we do, we, yeah, and stuff like that. We, we do have um, some references to like battlefield surgeons and stuff. So there's some there, knowledge yeah, right. of surgery, yeah. but it, it's not certainly not like widespread. They don't have like hospitals. You know? Well, on the subject of oh, this rather dark subject of like I don't know, <laughs> cutting into people. Uh, there was a lot of grim dark that I wasn't prepared for this time around. Yeah. Holy crap, um, it got a lot darker than I was remembering. Yeah, that the whole chase, uh, this is another thing that I, I kind of wanted to talk about with style, uh, like the whole chase uh, south of the Aranin, um, and they keep, you know, the, the trail changes going north and south as the Murdral and Thane, like, fight over what direction Oh, is that what's go. causing the, the switching of the direction? Yeah, Fane, ah, when, in okay. one of our Fane points of view, he, he says that. Okay. Like because Fane would like wake up every morning and and have like an internal struggle between like, yeah. Mordeth and Fane and and uh, when he was weakened by that the Murdral would take control and then he would go up and like demonstrate his power and kill one of the Dark Friends and take back control and they would head south again and then he'd wake up the next morning and be weak and the Murdral would take control and that went until he finally like got over that weakness and staked the Murdral to the barn door. Which again, that that uh, you know, grimdark kind of thing. Um, you know, it's like, and then there's the skinning of Changu and Nidao. Yeah. Uh, like there's there's like, you know, they they massacre the villagers yeah, that they. Yeah. yeah like there's some. Uh, it gets. It gets some it gets dark bad. stuff. The, the the saddest for me was like the Tom Marilyn like like when Rand runs into Tom again, and it's like a. You know, they kill his. Oh, oh! Yeah. I mean, so we haven't we haven't covered that yet yeah, 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 in, in where we are in, in gotcha. the book. Oh yeah, um, yeah, sorry. Uh, but yeah, like there's there's, like, I mean, there's some like pretty vicious violence in this, you know. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like pretty brutal for the Wheel of Time. Yeah, not, not to say that it doesn't get he, brutal at yeah, later yeah. points of the series, but like it's, like, it's this was setting the tone. He, uh, he's setting it up for you know. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, like, there's nothing things. like this really in the eye of the world. 
for instance. I feel like it was a good it was a good spot because I remember reading through Eye of the World and thinking like this is basically Lord of the Rings to me. Well, I mean, and that's probably why it took so long. And then this one just really separated to me, and that's why it went so fast. I mean, yeah. we started to catch glimpses of it in the Eye of the World when we we had like the whole chase with the wolves between Elias and Egwene. That and was Heron. the darkest part of Eye of the World for yeah. sure. Yeah, I don't. But, yeah, and that. It still the, doesn't on a scale play. of ten, that's like a that comes at like a five. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, that's what uh, I mean. Like we started to get glimpses of it, but this is where yeah. where, where Jordan decides to say, "Hey, look, the, you know this no. this is the real deal." Like, uh, go, yeah. Take the descriptions, for example, as you just mentioned, Drew the the skinned corpses of Chengu and Neidao. You know, the, the description was more detailed than I remember. We have we have uh, descriptions yeah. like crimson scarecrows, their faces twisted in a rictus of pain, you know. And then that one totally unnecessary comment, you know, they had lived a long time after it began. You know, I, I just, yeah. I forgot how dark the Wheel of Time actually did go. Mm-hmm. They went full pat on Fane because that guy's, yeah. dark. That guy's dark. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's, yeah. Um, Absolutely. But, but kind of on a flip side of this is like, with, with how, how grimdark we got in some of these early chapters, Robert Jordan also took an opportunity to work in like more uh, poetic style into it. There are more like songs and, and poems, and then mm, the prophecies, of course, the dark prophecy. You know, I he, love the prophecies. He has a more lyrical kind of bent to his writing in this book, and uh, and I think the highlight moment of this more like poetic lyrical prose is actually when Rand is encountering the Choedan call for the first time. Ah. The way that is that scene is constructed is choppy in that it's like single like single line sentence fragments instead of like complete sentences and paragraphs, but yet as a whole it flows really really well. Where we have Rand with this internal struggle doesn't know what's going on interspersed with these fragments of the like the Aiel mantra call to war you know into the shadow with teeth bared screaming defiance with the last breath like all of that mm-hmm. and it's brilliant writing you know it, it it brings me back to something I said in the Eye of the World episodes the people who who complain and say that Robert Jordan isn't a good writer doesn't have good prose like I'm sorry you're people just wrong say that? like yeah yeah you know it's <laughs> like you're you're wrong or you've never read I've, I've far heard, enough to see this like yeah. It's, I've heard tongue-in-cheek things about like you know skirts and like tugging braids, but it's all tongue-in-cheek. Oh no, there there to be like indignant sniffs. And a, yeah, there are legitimately people out there who like, and again, they probably read like the first chapter, and like, oh, it's just a Lord of the Rings ripoff, and then stopped and like, oh, he sucks at writing. He's his prose is garbage. He's I love a, your he's fantasy a troll like, voice. Oh, he's just you know. a good <laughs> <laughs> My Reddit troll voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what he assumes they sound. They all sound yeah. like that's yeah. fine. Uh, but but yeah, like when when you really dig into this, he has moments of pure brilliance mm. with his prose, and and that that moment it's in the chapter called Sidene, where Rand inadvertently draws unsafely through the strongest Sangreal. Well, he doesn't in actually draw through that Sangreal in that moment, does he? You can't do that oh, without yeah. without the key unless you want to no, destroy yourself. You can do the it. The key provides the buffer, the Tarangreal. Yeah, you can do it, it's just not safe. And but that's he, why Lanfear was so terrified. She was terrified. I thought she was terrified because there was the potential for that to happen, but I didn't think he was actually no, drawing because, upon so, so that So if you go back song, to the scene, yeah. if you go back to the scene, Rand is holding Sidene. Sure. And that's why as it's he's holding Sidene, 
the yeah the glow in the orb is resonating. It's beating with the beat of Cybine within. That doesn't mean he's drawing it through the orb, though. Oh, I, I think it does. I, I See, I disagree with that. Because I think if he was, I mean, that would have been the end of all... That's why That's why Austin's going to say Lanfear. Celine was well, no, so terrified in that moment because, because there was the potential it. for that. But I didn't think it, he was actually drawing through that Terangriel. Oh, I, I, I do think he was. Mm. And, and, like, because he... If he weren't drawing through it, he would have just been able to let it go. But when he tried to let it go, he couldn't. Because he couldn't control the flow of Saedine going through him. I think uh, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on this until we do further <laughs> further research. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, I could, I, could, I could go, you know, do some uh, hunting on Theoryland and see if there are any, any answers should. about this from Robert And Jordan, we should include but, it in the like the footnotes of this episode on YouTube or whatever, uh, wherever we if, decide uh, to release it. Yeah, if it. we... If we have a an answer, yeah, for but, sure. But anyway, you know, like that 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 was kind of my uh, my last style point. Really, oh, that's a, um, that's such a good such a good scene though. Like, it I, is. I love oh, that scene. Yeah. And and where yeah, where he's shooting at the uh, the, the oh yeah the, the the, the chase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The so grole. many good yeah. scenes, oh, oh, yeah, potential it, great uh, scenes I'd for our favorite that. scenes at the end. By the way, Rob, other Rob, you are joining us for the next episode. Yes, tentatively. Correct. Yes. Yes. Good, because we're going to be choosing be. our three favorite scenes. So many great, great candidates yeah. already. Oh, that, for yeah, I got, favorite a, I got a few. Definitely. Oh, my yeah. God. Uh, I have a couple of style points I just want to get out of the way before <laughs> we, still we jump into dancer. my characters. Um, okay. First, Fire away. Um, I want to I want to bring up Jordan's knack for foreshadowing. How can you discuss Robert Jordan without bringing up foreshadowing, right? Um, and, I, and I just wanted to. I don't know. I wanted to, to to show how it continues to dominate this experience as a reread in particular. You know, not only does he offer us very subtle hints with the specific and often seemingly benign actions and comments of his characters, but even in his exposition, we're starting to find little nuggets to, you know, tantalizing fragments of events that eventually do pan out in the future. And I have some examples here. Chapter 5, Swan and Moiraine's discussion about the dangers of their, you know, hidden agenda. Swan at one point blatantly says... No one can rally around a woman who must scrub floors and pots all day. Pity her, <laughs> yes, but not rally around her. Right. Huh. Right? Yep. Chapter 9, Bail Domon's point of view. At easing the uh, sorry, easing the badger in Ilium. You know. Yep. Uh, Nida allowed no commotion in her place, and her nephew, Billy, was big enough to carry a man out with either hand. And of course, Jordan chooses to demonstrate exactly this in the next volume, The Dragon Reborn. Yep. We see him get to do exactly that. And my last point here that I have that just you know comes to mind, the trinkets in Bale Domon's cabin, I found them very, very interesting. Like I knew that he had the seal and that he had a couple of Tarangrial. <laughs> I remember the, uh, the, the, I want to call it the fire stick, the glow stick, whatever it was called. Yep. But what I didn't the remember Angriel. was the little fat man Angrial. Yeah. I didn't remember oh, yeah. that making so its, its first appearance this early. It's not the fat man on Grail. No? No. It is It is not the, the same. It's not the same Rand one that Rand uses from at Maradon? the Great Holding in Tyr. Rand got the fat man on Grail from the Great Holding in Tyr. Oh, that's right. I remember him going down but into the hold, or saying that he went down into the hold and found it there, now that you mentioned it that. It is an on Grail, though. Oh, that's cool. It is cool. an on Grail. But it's not yeah. the little fat man on Grail. Correct. Got you. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks for setting that straight. By the way, since we're on the, the subject of, of Drew, uh, 
correcting me here. <laughs> We're going to have a, a segment at the end, Drew. I didn't even mention this during our housekeeping, actually. I probably should have. I just have some straight-up questions for you about things that we're finding, yeah. events that, we're hap- that are happening in this narrative so far that I, I just want to toss at you and see what you make of them. See if you can uh, yeah, explain let's, it for let's me. Let's keep that for, for that last segment. Yeah, we're going to do a, a little oh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not with starting Drew it now. segment. I just want to prepare uh, you for that's, it. That's sexy name. <laughs> Drew. <laughs> Definitely. And it's, it's actually really funny that, Rob, you, you brought this up because one of my notes in in my deep lore with Drew segment. Stop saying the name. <laughs> Stop saying it. I can only, I can only get so excited, guys. <laughs> uh, was, anyway, I was going, going to talk going about uh, the Angreal that Domon got <laughs> in in uh, Maradon. Yep. So that was, that was good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, should we just start um, discussing our characters? Or uh, should we oh, talk uh, about the yeah, yeah, let's, first? Let's, yeah, let's talk about the plot here. Okay. Yeah. like, I kind of segue into that like when you were going through the the foreshadowing that reminded me like how much i love swan sanchez as a character and like mm. the whole hubris of swan is crazy like she was so like we talked about it earlier she was dismissive seemed dismissive of the ceremony uh in this one she's blatantly just like one line no one can rally around uh, a woman scrubbing yeah. you know, yep. scrubbing floors and it's just like and Heinz says like god she was she was way too cocky she was she yeah. And, and you know it, it it came back is it was absolutely the hubris of Swan Sanche is is astounding and I didn't even think about it until a hundred percent brought yeah. it back and I really that. see I'm yeah. still a huge fan I'm still just like kind of in awe of this woman who is Swan Sanche I'm just like God damn they found the That's right the... woman someone who is yeah. arguably the most powerful woman on the planet besides the the, the Empress yeah. of the Shanchen, Empress of Shanchen, yeah met at this <laughs> That's... point. That's how you get hubris. Like, yeah, literally, exactly. people but are worshipping it. Like, like, she was she, too, too cocky. No, she like, doesn't... She, maybe I just wasn't so, picking up on it. But to me, she just... I love all of her little phrases. All of her little idioms about fishing. <laughs> and how she always finds a way to work all of these little these little phrases that she had been taught as a, you know, uh, uh, as a tyrant fisherwoman. You know, just how she manages to work them into her philosophy oh, yeah. in, in, in her, in her practice. Great. In her procedure. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah, like, like I'm not going to say she wasn't suited for the job because she absolutely was, but it's also undeniable that her, her, like, I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to say pride, but her overconfidence in, in their plan, was ultimately her undoing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, it, it, exactly. You know, it's, she, so, she was too cocky. Oh no, she's, yeah, she's exactly. starting. I, 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 the arc is her arc is amazing. Like, oh yeah, for and, sure. Yeah, and I can't, I can't like. Hubris is the best word I can think for it. I think I would agree. If, if yeah. I could, if I were to, mm-hmm. to look for one word to throw at it, hubris would be that word. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I really only have <laughs> one plot yeah, discussion right. I want to discuss, and I just want to imagine what it would have been like if, or at least imagine what would have ensued if Moiraine had actually caught Leandrin in the act of attacking Randall Thor in the dungeons beneath Faldara. Could you imagine how that oh, would have yeah. turned out differently if Moiraine stumbles upon the scene, she sees an Aes Sedai who she doesn't know is actually of the Black Aja, <laughs> and she just, does say Black? Actually using Black. the power as a weapon? Yes. Yeah, and actually Super using awkward. the power as a the, weapon. The Seinfeld music Oh my god, and especially with, with <laughs> Moiraine's, you know... Get a Kramer entrance. St- not stature, her status as an Aes Sedai, <laughs> her actual potential, like she would have just mopped the floor with Leandrin there and I just oh um, yeah I just I just mm, I'm just thinking of how that scene would have turned out and it just in my mind it goes so well I just ah mm-hmm. Rand you stubborn son of a bitch why couldn't you <laughs> have you just opened your mouth and told her what was happening so Ooh. speaking of like plot things and Leandrin yeah uh I I have you know kind of a 
you know, a personal anecdote and also a question for you guys. Okay. So the first time when I read this book, we get that, that first Leandrin point of view where she, like, you know, visits uh, Lady Amalisa and her, you know, uh, her noble women. Mm. I, like, I've reread this book. I mean, I could I could show you, Rob, right now, like, my copy of The Great Hunt, literally broken in half, like, held together with duct tape missing the front and back <laughs> I have the covers. Same. Like, <laughs> like, I've read this book dozens of times. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. And, and each time I go back to that scene with Leandrin, baffled. Because the first time I read this book, I came out of that scene knowing Leandrin was Black Aja. Really? But when I go back and reread it, I'm like, how did I pick this up? Every time I go back through and I read it closer and closer, you know, more and more closely, and and I'm like, what tipped me off? I think I figured it out. I think while you were while you were explaining it there, I think I figured it out. And I kind of have the same thing. I, I had a, I don't want to say a Black Aja... I said block again. What the fuck is wrong with me? A black Aja vibe from Leandrin. I, I didn't get specifically that, but I knew she was bad news. And I think it was because she was acting so um, opposite Moiraine. Like, she was not involving Moiraine at all. She was clearly doing something against Moiraine's plans. She, was, she had something to hide. And I think it was just her entire demeanor that kind of suggested that. But I didn't come out of it, for example, knowing that she was black. Damn it! I did it again! Black Aja. <laughs> I can't stop Bla saying Block Aja. What the fuck? Aja. They really shit. like Legos. I know. I didn't come out um, of it knowing that she was Black Aja, but I, I came out of it knowing that she was definitely acting counter to Moiraine, and she had something to hide, and she was suspicious AF. Yeah, and, and, and it goes beyond this for me, too, because you know, without going into details, you know, there's more with Leandrin in the second half of this book. And to me, like, the first time I read it, I remember the whole time that was going on with, like, what she does in the second half of the book, I was like, what are you doing? Why are you going with her? She's clearly evil. She's clearly serving the shadow. And yet, when I go back and reread, I realize, like, we don't actually get confirmation that she's Black Aja until the Dragon Reborn. Oh, I thought it was the Shadow Rising. Oh, no, no yeah, that's right. You know, at the end, she's there waiting like, with Bilal, yeah. Like, um, there are some hints at the end of uh, The Great Hunt when she talks with Suroth. But you don't. You also don't know that Suroth is a dark friend yet. Foreshadowing. So like, yeah, it's it it. But for me, the first time I read this book, this was like one Hold of the on. only things I didn't like about it is that because I had this somehow assumption that she was Black Aja, the whole tension of Leandrin's storyline in this was robbed from me. It wasn't like, oh, what's she doing? Oh, is this what's going to happen here? It was just like, this is bad news. Like, <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how I forgot that Suroth was a dark friend. What? <laughs> she is? Oh, well... Oh, yeah. I feel like... <laughs> I we'll, feel like we'll cover this judging by your reaction, this is a dumbass <laughs> yeah, question. I'm, we'll cover this to later. This later when I, when I read it. I don't... Since she hasn't even appeared on the page yet, but... Myself. I, I'm but actually yes, kind of with is. you. That's it. I'm, I'm like five beers in, so... Damn, that's uh, a big beer bottle. What the? F Sorry, we'll we'll discuss that later. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that later on again. Um, but but so uh, as far as plot stuff goes, I I do have a few things to, to yeah, talk yeah. about. And uh, sticking with Faldara, I want to talk about the Dark Prophecy. Yeah, right? well, let's do it. <laughs> and uh, it, it's I, I have two things to talk about. One of them like is actually more of a community question, and I'll get to that. But okay, the interesting thing with the Dark Prophecy is that unlike 
a lot of prophecies that and and like viewings for instance and things dreams that robert jordan uses the dark prophecy and Egwene's dreams in this book are all about things in this book there are a couple of things in the dark prophecy that aren't but like 95 percent of it is all stuff that gets fulfilled in this book we're used to getting prophecies you know like so the only things in the dark prophecy that don't get explicitly like explained Esau. are are Luke and Isom yeah. and Slayer and the line uh it's like one uh, did live summer one will did burn it, it, it the line is summer will burn or something yeah. like that um let me let me pull Before up the, the actual great lord comes quote uh okay let's see blood, I, yeah, I used to be able to recite this and when i was 12 years old i could have recited this entire prophecy word for word um that's how many times oh i know i i, I could thing. i could still do most of it <laughs> but uh i'm outclassed but you know nah that's fine. <laughs> that's fine it's good yeah it says death shall sow and summer Marie. burn before the what? great lord comes oh and that and summer burn is referring to the endless summer that the dark one is preparing for the yeah, world after like the very... breaking of the endless winter so you're putting your wedding vows. <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> yeah, blood calls blood. Blood, blood feeds blood. Blood, blood, blood is, is and blood was, was and blood, blood shall, shall ever be. be. If that doesn't work as a wedding vow, <laughs> what does? <laughs> um, Do we know who anyway, wrote that prophecy? By the way, was that uh, so? It's Fane. Fane wrote I that. I say that. I say that every. I'm going to quote Pot and Fane. You know, every time. You know. <laughs> It it has to be Fane. <laughs> when uh, in doubt, it, quote Pot and Fane. Maybe it was a merge draw, but I uh, I very much don't think it was the merge draw. And here's what I uh, want to know, especially because like it if it was the merge draw, it makes no sense that the merge draw was trying to prevent Fane from bringing the horn south because Fane's whole thing is we got to go to Tomon ahead, and Tomon ahead is specifically mentioned Northwest. in the prophecy. That's west actually from there. Now that I think on it, yeah, geographically speaking, I mean it's southwest, but is it oh. uh, Fane? Fane knew um, from, like, somehow. And this is my question. This is my other point here. Because I don't have an answer to this. How was this dark prophecy made? Like, they don't have the foretelling. Like, like the... They don't. You know, like, does Fane... Did Mordeth have prescient powers? Like, that he could read the pattern? Like... Well, we know for a fact that the shadow does have prophecies. We we, we, we found that out in book thirteen, I think it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we we know for a fact that the shadow does have prophecies. I guess you could say we found that out in book two, depending on whether you. you yeah. Well, you know. yeah, we found it out in book yeah, two. Yeah, <laughs> we found it out in book two. As as far as the actual source, um, I don't know. There, there's, there, it seems to make sense that there would be a true power equivalent of the foretelling, because the foretelling comes from the one power, does it not? Uh, yes, but um, the question remains: How the hell did Patton Fane tap Fain, into something like that? Yeah. I don't know. And, he's and it just couldn't kind of have a, been. He's, he's a heyday of. He's amorphous. Get, like, pick one yeah. power, pick one ability. Like he's he he is so in between the worlds of more death and 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 the dark one and you know the wheel of time itself. Like I don't know. Yeah, like, I think it's just Jordan wanting to show off the fact that he is just so good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I pretty much chalk it up to that. He is great. 
Yeah. I, I don't know why your discussion reminded me. It reminded me of the first scene of the book, like, with all the dark friends in the room. and The social? Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it yes. clearly... Yes, the man who called himself esta- wars. Yeah. It, it clearly also established, like, how, you know, how absolute shit they are at communicating. Like, how all the dark friends are. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, that's they why they... Each, how the, that's something how, like, I, I kept thinking coordinating, of like, during yeah. that prologue was like well this is the reason why the shadow loses because none of them want to work together all of them yeah. are trying to figure yeah, out they're how terrible. to one up <laughs> everyone yeah. else all of them yeah. are, fi- are trying to figure out how they are better and how they can you know gain advantage over one another they don't work together the whole time i was reading that prologue i was like this is a case study of why the shadow is doomed to fail and that's great it's established in the second book like why they can't like nothing ever works out it's like the scooby-doo <laughs> gang all over like it's <laughs> It, it all would have worked if it wasn't for these three meddling boys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I have a, a couple more points. And uh, again, this is going to be a two-parter <laughs> thing where I, I have a question for us to discuss okay, and okay. dig into. Okay. And that is the portal stone. Ooh. And Rand and Loyal and Hurin going into the mirror world here. Okay. So... This may and have been something there. that I actually considered asking you in turn. So let's let's figure this out. Okay, hit me. So I'll start with with just like an observation that I had at the end of that scene, mm-hmm. at the a sequence rather, um, when Rand sends them back to the real world. Okay, right. Lanfear looks around and she's like, "You brought all of us and our horses," and she's surprised. And I actually think she was planning on having this set up where. Like, she didn't think Rand was strong enough, so it would just be her and Rand coming back together, alone. And that Rand wouldn't have been strong enough to bring Loyal and Hurin. So she would have had him completely to herself. Interesting. I love Lanvir in this book, and that said, it's a little it's a little prideful to think that just because she's when you know was described as super hot, yeah. that she would be the one that's picked over loyal. I Could mean, you imagine if Robert Jordan had actually included that in his verbatim when he was describing well, her? By the way, damn, yeah. super hot, super hot. Yeah, I mean, even loyal, even loyal was even into loyal her, like, is like, oh yeah, like, yeah, God, he's, he's like straight. He's like, if there was ever somebody movie. who was like. Yeah, the, the perfect form of human being. And Rand's just like, <laughs> loyal. <laughs> whoever, loyal gets, whoever gets casted as her in the oh, series. Oh, I know, like, yeah. It's like, there's no way they live up to the descriptive right. analysis. <laughs> I think Loyal is my favorite um, character up until this point. He might be. He might be. A- anyway, anyway, so my my open question, my discussion question. Okay, okay. Because I, I have what I think is the answer. But was it Rand or was it Lanfear? Who sent them to the mirror world? To who sent them, not who who brought them back to the real world. Correct. But who sent them there in the first place? Correct. I think it was Rand. No, no, it can't have been Rand. I'm going to argue that it cannot have been Rand. Just All simply right, based gonna... on the like. Okay, he went to sleep, and Sidine was like kind of filling him with that last line there, right? His dreams mm-hmm. were troubled with the song of Sidine, but. Knowing what I know about the portal stones and how they have to be used, and knowing that you have to vision a particular symbol inside your head as you are channeling the power to transport yourself i don't think rand in his uh addled sleep state with sidine singing to him would have been able in that unconscious state to picture that symbol and actually transport them there he was he could grab sidine i would accept while he's sleeping but he can't actually have the presence of mind to choose where to go 
So I think based on that specifically, it had to be Celine. Lane Rob, what do you think? Uh, I like Celine because one, everything seemed to just like whenever one Celine just seemed annoyed most of the time. So mm. clearly it was all like a plan that she just wanted to go. Oh, and she was following motion. I just realized yeah, that. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot the, all these clues that she was following them beforehand. So it, it had to be Celine Lanfear. It just makes the most sense. Like, who else could it have Oh, shit. no, though. I just thought of a counterpoint, though. <laughs> Bring it. Bring it. But Show us the we see a whole lot of blatant kind of examples of Rand acting oddly. And Rand acting with his kind of manic, <sighs> bring it on, motherfucker, with danger. I don't give a shit kind of Man, I am attitude. tipsy enough so that, like, any point you bring swings me to the <laughs> other side. So that's, well, that's good, the check problem. This out. That's I actually, I think there were points where, where we saw in that mirror world where Rand was acting kind of brashly, where he was acting very riskily. And I think that is a result of him having channeled them there in the first place. I can't decide now. What, what so do you think, Drew? I, I believe Rand is the one who did it. Okay. I do think that final line is a an important factor. In that chapter, where the it fact says that the song of Sidene says him or whatever. An exhausted sleep finally came, and with sleep, unbidden, the void surrounded him, flickering with an uneasy glow that disturbed his dreams. Okay. So from that, we know that Sidene came to him as he was sleeping. Or he no Sidene can't come to him. He has to reach to Sidene. Uh, except. He doesn't know how to do that yet. And Saedin comes to him yeah, during these moments. And this, is, and this is my counterpoint to it was instinctual here. And that, that actually... He, he does yeah. things through the first, especially four books, without knowing what or how isn't he did that them. is part of the mechanic of the portal stones that you have to picture the exact symbol that you want to get to where I you mean, want to go? How can you do that when you're sleeping? Instinctually. Instinctually that's picture a symbol Rand that's on the so stone many, in front of you. I mean, Rand does I do so, so many things. I do when I think channeling. I'm sleeping, so that makes sense. That's fine. Yeah, Rand does so it's many things over the first four read. books. I suppose that Rand Althor is not exactly should a should have candle. to take, you know, yeah. purpose. He just does them. Yeah. We could also and just argue that. I think this is one of them. And the, the other, the flip years. side of it, the flip side of it here, is that at the end there, Lanfear wanted Rand to leave Loyal and Hurin behind. Had she done it, she would have only taken Rand. She would That's not have so taken Hurin and Loyal as I hadn't well. Hadn't even considered that. And and yeah, and outside of Lanfear essentially acting annoyed most of the time, that or she was scared and like wanted them to leave. She was possible. not scared. Uh, well, she I, was like, acting well, no, scared no, to like, like force Rand. He was to... above Tremonsi and he was looking down. Oh well, at that, the that's Sangria. that's outside of the. Yeah. That's outside of the. And, when, the I mean, oh, and you, mean, you know, in, when in oh. my head there, Lovecraftian dogs started to attack them. It was you know they were like she was like. <laughs> Hold we, on, what did you just call them? I call them Lovecraftian dogs because in my head I picture them exactly like the you know the hounds in H.P. Lovecraft. Right, right. Okay. okay. But it was, yeah, it, but, like, when they're attacking, she's like, she's super amazed that he, you know, shoots them in what is probably my favorite scene the that I can think of. in The most impossible yeah. shots of all time. Yeah, exactly. But Hawk she's like, and then, but then you start hearing more of them, like, and there's, like, more are going to come. And she's actually afraid. She's like, let's, let's get the F out no, of here, guys. The like, sense that so she was acting I, then, because she could just slaughter yeah, all of them. What's up, Pat? Acting. Extra special guest star coming in <laughs> yes! uh, from for just a moment Caffrey. to lend something to this conversation that no one else has mentioned. Yes, if it was Rand, you're gonna have to convince me that the weave to activate the portal stone is pure spirit because you can't channel anything other than spirit in your sleep. Yeah, that's fine. 
I don't know. That's a hard sell. That's, that's a fine. hard sell. There's almost nothing no to weaves. indicate that that's I not. I mean, almost because, well, except the, <laughs> the fact that almost no weaves take only spirit. Yeah, running into this, I said it had to be Lanfear. Except we're... we're dragon re, <laughs> just Dragon Reborn, you know, whatever whatever's required. Is <laughs> no. I, that, that does not preclude Rand, because this is a spiritual transmigration, essentially, moving you from a from the real world to a parallel or perpendicular world. This is not like a physical thing. It's it's a it's like a metaphysical thing. So of That's course true. It they would are, be the stones are divided That's between a, whether you're going to a different um, world or just simply right a different it's dimension. It's not a purely metaphysical thing. Their bodies go. Did I say metaphysical? I, I said it's not a purely physical thing. Yeah, it is a yeah. metaphysical thing. I, I get that. I mean, it brings their bodies, also, yes, but, but that's physical. metaphysical. But you have the choice. You have the top <laughs> half of the stone and the bottom half of the stone. We're arguing definition. We're just arguing definition. <laughs> I, I really uh, wish just, I had. Uh, I wish. I really wish yeah. I had Matt Hatch here on the podcast. This is going to be such a great discussion his, uh, for the, this, for the his wheelhouse. Half, All right, Mike, drop. I'm out. All right, Mike, <laughs> Pat. My man, dropping in. Yeah. But but again, I, I go back to uh, uh, Lanfear's... So so what you were saying with like Lanfear being afraid, I don't think she was afraid because she could have just wrecked all those Grom like that, you know? She she was acting afraid so that Rand would go to the Portal Stone. She like, wanted him to go. She wanted him to channel. She repeatedly throughout this tries to force Rand into positions where he has to channel. So... You're, you're right, that, and that's fair, and... You know what? I was just hypnotized by her hotness in my head, so I didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't even pick up on that. That yeah. was my own fault. Um, but I'm still but not yeah, as I, hypnotized by her hotness as I am by Moiraine's. I don't know why. Oh, uh, see, I'm not hypnotized they by either of them. They literally just said like Lanfear is whatever the hottest person you. Moiraine is not is. like That's your a... biggest teenage fantasy crush of all time. No, well, uh, I mean, Elaine and Avienda were way I, more. I pretty much pictured her as like Kate Beckinsale, uh, which you know was pretty much up there for me. And then, oh that, yeah, Kate Beckinsale. It, it, I can't it, argue it, with that. It, it counts. I'll, but I'll admit, I, I did have a uh, a pretty big crush on Rosamund Pike after yeah, I saw oh, her in Die I, Another Day. So I have so no issues with that casting at all. Yeah. That, she was amazing. Doom? Oh my god! I was like fourteen-year-old yeah. me watching that movie. I was like, oh, I had no yeah, idea. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, Gone Girl. Even even when she, you know, spoilers, Goes, you yeah. know, murder Neil Patrick Harris. I was like, yeah, it's still fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, all right. Like, it's like, all right, what do you, whatever you want to do, you're yeah. gorgeous. But. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, to our listeners, I, I want you to chime in on our Facebook group. You know, let us, uh, let us know what you think. Was it Rand or was it Lanfear who sent Lanfear. them? Um, who is the hottest, Moraine or Lanfear? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, if you feel uh, the urge to uh, add in whether you think Lanfear or Moraine is hotter. It physically could not have been. It can't have been. With the mechanics of the portal stones and how you're supposed to function or how they're supposed to function why not like because you have to picture this symbol in your brain you have to see it and you have to choose the he's literally the and he like, may have done that he's got somebody else in his, in his he brain may have anyway. dreamed it. like it's fine he it's, may have dreamed it it's wow. he fell asleep right next to it it doesn't say what he now. he had in his okay. in his mind as he was falling asleep it doesn't have to have been Lanfear <laughs> but it's very fucking likely Lanfear Okay, uh, let's, let's continue. We haven't even gotten into our character discussion yet. No, we, we haven't. Um, I I only have uh, one more like plot thing to talk about, and that is with the Choiden call. Um, and and this is just like a hypothetical, like you brought up with Moiraine fighting Lanfear in the Ooh. dungeon. Yes. So Galdrian's actual plan 
with the statue, to right, to was to, like, tow it to the Capitol and mm -hmm. set it up outside the gates. What a horrific idea. Oh, my to God. Put an unstable Sa'angrail outside of one of the biggest cities in the world. Had he actually done that, like, Kyrian would have gotten wiped off the map at best. I love it's that decision. Like, it's it goes great. to show perfect. the hubris of, <laughs> of, of using Ryat in, in Galdrian Word of the day, hubris. Yeah. And, I mean, like, he didn't know, about the obviously. nobility of the Kyrian and, like, just, ugh. I don't know. Yeah, like, like they didn't know it was the most powerful Sa'angrail ever created for a man to use, but still, like, you should know you don't mess with no, artifacts the, from the Age of Legends. Is the most, yeah. Is the most, yeah. Yeah, it, you don't mess with artifacts from the Age of Legends and put them in a public place where hundreds of thousands of people have access but, like, to them. What like, if you're I would bored, think that they just think it's a statue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, they just yeah, think it's a so, statue. Right? That draws the eye. No, but that's what they know. It's from the Age of Legends. <laughs> yeah. Like you guys, anything from the Age of Legends is bad news. You guys need to have like an entire show on the Age of Legends just itself. That'd be great. That would be fun. That would be fun. Um, but okay, let's let's move on to characters now. Yes, let's. And do let's that. start with Rand. Okay. Lan is, Lan is the father I always wanted. Like, <laughs> Lan is like Rand's second surrogate father. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. like at the beginning, I love the I love the scenes at the beginning where he's training yes. him, oh giving it advice, God. and be like, so just, just, that God, yeah. I love, I love it. Yeah, I, I, the funny thing is though, Rand at the beginning of this book is such an asshole. I mean, I get it. Like, like again, early, like late teens, early twenties choices, like. You're a dick at that age. What do you, I mean, what do you I, mean Rand's an asshole? I wanna I wanna hear you back. Did you week. miss the scene where he goes down into the like the cellars and he just like is an absolute jerk to Perrin and Matt and Loyal? Yeah, but he's doing that ostensibly because he doesn't want to hurt them. He you you've just yeah, been told that guess you are gonna did? go insane he and them. hurt your friends. He's just doing that look. I'm gonna I'm gonna send them away and they're gonna hate me and that's my it's price to pay for keeping to be them safe. That wasn't him yeah. being an asshole. That's no, him being except ignorant. it was. There are ways. Ignorant. That's him being a dick. There are ways to do that without being teenager. an asshole, but that's just his ignorance, not him. <laughs> I'm surprised just, like, there wasn't enjoying... a scene where he dyed his hair and started going emo for a while. <laughs> and started like, dancing just, down the yeah. road, doing like, little. Oh he, no, he no! Was. Get Spider-Man Three out of my uh, head. Uh, <laughs> if you guys have not seen like that YouTube thing, like Zach Morris's trash, I just you could do a whole thing with like oh, no. the times Rand is just like an unnecessary. An unnecessary asshole. But like, I, come on. <laughs> like, I would argue like, like, he was an asshole Rand if is... he enjoyed doing that, but it killed no, him to do that. That makes no, like, him not an it, asshole. It, that makes him It ignorant. was coming from a genuine spot, yeah. but he still approached it in a terrible way. Yeah, I don't care like, what he, what he, what he That doesn't make what, him an what, asshole, though. What he no, feels, he does. What he no, feels only matters you, to him. What he feels only matters to him. What he does to the people that he says he cares about is the only thing that matters. Like... And he treated them like dicks. I don't care what his inner monologue is telling him. He treated them like dicks. Like, yes, hey, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't matter what he feels. That is, like, he still it, hurt their that feelings. That is dumbass, like, ignorant 19-year-old Rand who says, they have to either love me or hate me. That's the only like, way I'm to not, keep them safe. I'm not That's saying Rand is a... Not an asshole. Cue my chemical saying romance saying he was a bad person. person. Like, I'm not saying no, Rand is like some terrible, evil man. I'm just saying he was an asshole in these scenes. Oh, he was being an asshole, but he's and not an only, asshole. It's only Rand is kind in... of an asshole. That's fine. He is kind <laughs> of an asshole. I love how many times like... you said the word asshole in this fucking episode. We're not going to censor asshole. Don't worry. No, Pat. we're not. Um... <laughs> no, Pat's not going to censor asshole. He's an he's an anal <laughs> fisher. 
It's only the scene when uh, they're on the road, when they're like actually chasing, and Rand is like looking at the dragon banner, and Matt and Perrin find him, and he finally comes clean to them and says, Listen, I can channel. I have to go away. I was trying to push you away. That's him being what. The, the kind of person he should have been in Faldara. Yeah, just say yeah. that. That is a giant Which makes him mark. ignorant, not an asshole. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm beating this I, I, horse into the ground. We're just going to have to yeah. agree to but, disagree. I think, I think Rand is just generally kind of, It's fine for the character. I think he's kind of an asshole I think a lot. <laughs> he's being an asshole, but it's coming from an ignorant place, not a... Yes. Yeah, late yeah. teens, early 20s. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to argue that he's fine. being an asshole. I'm, I would argue yeah. against him actually being an asshole. Hold on, I could Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You he know what I'm trying to say. He just watched Fight Club like yeah, too many exactly. times. It's fine. It's just it's, it's um, all good. He's anyway, fine. so with sticking with like the the boys, right? With Rand and Matt and Perrin, mostly Rand and Perrin, because we don't get any Matt points of view. Uh, I I have a, like a funny thing that I noticed through the first book and a half here. Okay. So there's an ongoing conceit throughout the Wheel of Time where Rand conceit. and Matt and Perrin constantly think of like. I, I wish Rand was here. He could talk so to girls. I, I wish Rand were here because he could talk yes, to girls. And Rand's like, I wish Perrin were here because he can talk to like you know. Yep. Throughout the first two books, they never, neither Rand nor Perrin ever wishes Matt were there. Yep. Yep. Noticed that. They only and wish he can actually talk other. to girls. Like that's well, and <laughs> like the only time uh, Rand wishes for Matt to be there in this book. He's, he wishes for Perrin or Matt. He says Perrin because he always had a way with girls, and Matt because he could lie with a straight face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as opposed to, uh, yeah, as opposed like, <laughs> as opposed to Rand, who's just, you as know, they grew trying up in, to in pretend to be an asshole. You know, like, I, yeah. I, I can see why Perrin would, 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 hope for per, uh, would hope for Rand. I can see why Rand would hope for Perrin. But... But as, I, I as think the it's point funny they that Emmons they never field. hoped for Matt. Yeah, yeah I, Matt like, hadn't who, who really would... explored any of his, uh, I don't know, charms. Uh, you think I, he didn't in the Two Rivers? At this no, stage, who do you think? Like, I, I get it. Like <laughs> Matt is a terrible wingman. Like honestly, if I no, had the Astro wing, wingman, yeah, no yeah, wingman, sure. absolutely not. Perrin, I, I would, I would, Perrin I would is probably the best. Perrin is the wingman. Yeah, when those guns will, they'll get the ladies. Like those guns get the ladies, and when they're speaking kindly about you and, yeah. and when the time comes his 15 year old wife will go put and a Perrin leash so around his neck modest. and yeah <laughs> that's again that's it I, I think i mentioned it to you before but this is why i love this book because it's well before a lot of like yeah, the frustrating yeah, yeah. relationships that were that were developing specifically oh, like you know fayil and Perrin. like i fayil is great they work together but they're like that annoying hey sorry sorry it's it's like it's like that friendship, like you know the your two friends they work together, you just don't want to hang out with them together. It's like sure, you guys sure. are perfect you guys are perfect together. I just don't want to like wait in a line together for, you know, Jamba Juice because you guys are fighting and or making out and it's like I have nowhere else to go. Like I just, yeah. I don't want that. It's like they, they make sense together and it's great. But yeah. Well we'll get to that down. <laughs> yeah, we'll, the road. we'll get yeah, that that's um but <laughs> I did that out. I wanna move to Nynaeve. Oh, I hold talk on. About I haven't discussed everything I want oh, to discuss oh, you about have, Rand. I have, oh, you have more about Rand. I thought right, we established right. he is an asshole, yeah. and then we're all right. right. Now, despite right, his Rand. modest improvement of living standards, you know, he gets to eat every day, he's wearing expensive clothing, he's, you know, chasing an objective rather than fleeing from danger. We're still starting to see a lot more of what I think is vulnerability 
in Rand. You know, uh, where, for example, in the Eye of the World, we had a young, naive, ignorant shepherd who knows, or at least thinks he knows, exactly who he is defying. In The Great Hunt, we now have a man, a young man who is beginning to doubt himself. You know, he, his lies to himself about the nature of his past, his tenuous link to his father, you know, they're starting to make themselves impossible to ignore. He, he, he gets cornered by the eyes to die, and he's informed, finally, that he's quite literally the most dangerous man to ever walk the face of the earth, and he's destined to go insane and face the Dark One, regardless of the order of events. You know, that entire foundation upon which he had to stand in defiance of the Shadow is now threatened, and he's... Mm -hmm kind of quickly thrust into situation after situation where he's required to embrace his power. Yeah. And um, I'll, I'll save this kind of talking point for the next episode. I'll just tease it here. We're starting to see the first effects of his Tavir in nature beginning to make themselves evident. Yes. And uh, yeah, that's basically all, all I want to say about that because we will have a lot more to discuss in, in, in part two about those exact yeah. points. <laughs> that's fair. Um, and my drug so yeah, himself that, is that's a lot what of I wanted to get about Tavirin, Rand out of the so. way. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll save we'll save the Tavirin discussion for for the second half mm. of the Great Hunt. Um but I can can we move on to Nynaeve cuz I I do want to oh, talk yeah, about Oh yeah, let's let's move on. Well, yeah, for she... me I have Egwene and Nynaeve like tied together in my talking points, but go ahead, let's start with Nynaeve. Yeah. Um so we don't get many points of view from Nynaeve in these early books, we got what, like two in, uh, eye of the world. And then we, we've gotten two, I think so far in, in great hunt. And I, like, I just treasure them. It's so like, as an adult Aww. now, like, like it's so great to have these moments in her perspective because it would be easy otherwise to dislike nine, you know, it, if you didn't Very have, easy. you know, if if you didn't have her perspective on things, what she's great. Yeah, it, it's like, you know, there's there's the point of view with her immediately after Rand's meeting with the Amerlin, and Nynaeve has these concerns about what happened with Rand in that meeting, you know, and then and then of course that scene turns straight into her with Lan, which is also like. You know, bow chicka wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, not even bow chicka wow. More, more like, brr, brr, brr. It's, you know? It's, yeah. It's, it's, I would agree with it's there. more play for those two. It's fine. <laughs> but it's still, like, really touching. Lan, you know? That's, it's, that's my dream. Lan, Lan and Nynaeve are, they are my dream couple. Yeah, they're so fantastic. They're so like, they, they're, they're so different, but work so well together. They work perfectly. And then we get Nynaeve on the road to Tarvalon and on the river, and like one of the best Nynaeve scenes when Swan Sanche herself comes in to teach them and Nynaeve just like smashes her into the wall. Yeah. Nynaeve <laughs> She's like, all right, Swan I'm done with, with you messing with me. Swan overpowers yeah. Nynaeve with knowledge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, but, but the cool thing about it is that in this scene, Nynaeve is always a step behind, right? Mm -hmm. Because she doesn't have the knowledge, but she learns it immediately. In one like, try. Yeah, she has to like see everybody wants. As the series goes on, people like to talk about how like Egwene is the one who's like the learner, who's oh, who's like rabid that. for knowledge. Nynaeve, <laughs> like so much of I mean, the she's solid at it too. Like, yeah, she oh, is, is but great. so much of the knowledge that Egwene is given credit for didn't come from Egwene. 
for one thing. It came from Mugedian. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that even, Nynaeve was the one who learned that from Mogedian and then showed to Egwin. And it's like, even even just in moments later in this book, Nynaeve sees things for the first time and reacts immediately, whereas Egwin does not react and she gets screwed over because she doesn't react. She doesn't learn like Nynaeve does. And Nynaeve's the one who stays free and, and, you know, like puts up a resistance and like, it's Nynaeve really is like, were she given the opportunity or, or were she to have the proclivity towards scholarship, she would make an awesome Brown. Yeah, for sure. But if she had that, I don't think I would like her as much either. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing I want to say about Nynaeve is I want to draw to the point that Warren said to Swan, that Nynaeve is a bonfire compared to the candles that are Elaine and Egwene. And mm-hmm. that just strikes me as so quaint. Such, that is good symbolism. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> where this goes. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm totally on board the Nynaeve train. Like, yes, I may be a little frustrated with her with her worldview. Yes, I may be a, frustrated, a bit frustrated with her, uh, her motivations. But goddamn, she is talented. She's a wilder. She's grown up. She's learned to control the one power with her own sort of kind of, I don't know, limitations. I mean, if, but yeah, if even she, the Aes Sedai of the White yeah, Tower can recognize that Nynaeve Almira is a wild card. She could she could do anything. Um, and I, I just mm-hmm. like the fact that we got such a stark view of that in this book. We absolutely did. Yeah. Uh, Rob, what were you going to say? Oh, I, you know, I almost forgot because I. Oh no, it's because she was a. If she was that powerful and also essentially a Gawain level or something like that, it would. She'd be boring. Like it's. It's not that interesting. I want some volatility with my power. That's you know. That's why. That's why I'm okay with Rand being kind of a dick because (laughs) he's so powerful. He probably should be. Like you get that much power, I think dickishness comes with it. Yeah, and and I also think it's an interesting. look at where Nynaeve is in relation to Egwene and, and Elaine in this book. Um, where, like, Egwene is struggling, like, she's she's thrilled that she can, like, make a little flame above her finger <laughs> and, like, have a breeze come through that ruffles the tent and stuff like that. Nynaeve can full-on, like, pick up the Amerlin and slam her into a wall. That is, that is, like, it's so adorable how great how, 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 how excited she is about it. Yeah. yeah. And then how terrified Egwene is during that moment. Right? Yeah, like, like it, it really puts into perspective how long Nynaeve's been channeling and working toward her potential. Because Egwene's just started. You know, like she's only been channeling for a few weeks. And Nynaeve's been channeling for years, probably. And, uh... Temper. Yeah, you know, it's, uh... Especially if we go back to the Ravens prologue, where we... Uh, we had Mistress Baron. The old, yes. yeah, the the old wisdom who is disappointed that Nynaeve didn't heal her charge in that scene. Egwene was nine in that. That was seven years ago. So if if Mistress Baron knew that Nynaeve was channeling already, maybe she was just hoping she would start channeling. We don't know, but if if she had like that's a long time to be channeling. She's been working toward her potential for a while. So Nynaeve. 
she's powerful. Like, already. She's probably stronger than most Aes Sedai I agree, as yeah. an untrained wilder can, at the beginning of the can, Great Hunt. Can I say how much I just love her barrier that, like, she has to be oh, yeah. emotional to do it? Like, because I, I feel like it's like a it's like a Hulk thing. It's like, if she's channeling, like, <laughs> you're, you're fucked. Like, yeah. That, yeah. that's it. Like, <laughs> like that's... <laughs> well, Nynaeve is one of the most strong female channelers in the entire series. I yeah. think she's I, only I, beaten, if I remember correctly, by Alviar. Uh, not Alviar, sorry. Um, who's that Sean Chan woman? Damn it. Olivia. Olivia, thank you very much. Olivia, Lane Fear. I think those are the only two who really kind of match her or ex or uh, uh, exceed past her in the... I don't even think they exceed uh, her. I, I believe Grandal is also stronger. Grandal's close. Semirage Semirog is... is close. At least on the same level, there's the Seafolk girl. Um, oh, oh no, what was her name? Talon. Talon. Oh, Talon. T A L A A N. Yeah, she's. I, I don't think a -N -N. she's quite yeah. on Nine uh, level, but no, I could be she wrong. is on Nine level because when they're practicing in Winter's Heart, Talon like wrecks. Oh yeah, Nynaeve. Talon wrecks her, but I think that's an experience yeah. thing over. Uh, no, Talon's like a, a no. Talon's a rookie. A windfinder. Well, she's a rookie in some areas. She's an expert in others. Not in I, like shielding and yeah, maybe not in shielding. No, no, she's shit, she's oh, stronger. Yeah. Can, um, can I just but, say that yeah. I I would have loved it if they they just like kept her barrier in place, but it was like every time she wanted to channel, it was like uh like a water boy situation where like the yeah, outside like he has to like picture like something that makes her angry. Sure, sure. In order to channel, like, and that would have been great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would have loved that. Uh, but that, that said, I, I did like the scene, you know, the mm -hmm. spoilers, barrier-breaking scene sort of thing. So Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so Rob, you said you had Egwene kind of tied in. Uh, what did you want to say about her? Um, as far as Egwene goes, I just wanted to say that she's starting to show how, uh, and I don't know how I want to describe her, she's starting to show how proficient she is. She's starting to show how she really has a knack for winning people over. Um, Egwene is, is is starting to come into herself in this volume in, in much the same way that Rand is, although in entirely different ways. Uh, but the fact that she eventually becomes the future Amarlin is really starting mm -hmm. to make itself evident in the narrative of this book. Like, it's starting to... Foreshadowing. We're starting to see a lot of... Exactly, <laughs> foreshadowing. We're starting to see a lot of hints that this is exactly where she's going. She's dedicated... Uh, she's definitely capable. She's strong, and 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 more than anything, she is stubborn. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good adjective. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I actually think it's funny bringing up the foreshadowing point uh, that Rob Winchell just did. Um, there's sexy, a lot more foreshadowing. There's a lot more foreshadowing about uh, Egwene becoming Amerlin in these. It was a little bit in Eye of the World, but there's a lot in The yeah. Great Hunt. Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah, she's she's definitely getting set up for it here. Yeah, yeah. and uh, like they, they establish she's... Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree at all, actually. It's it's very... It's it's always a hindsight thing for me. At, at the time, I viewed her as just kind of like navigating the waters as I would expect. And I... The first time through, like the scenes in the tower, I almost didn't like, but after a full read-through... It was a great setup for essentially one of my favorite arcs later on, you know, when hmm. she's back in the tower again. Yeah. For, you know, spoiler reasons later yeah, on. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, it's uh, like... And I, I, I and, and on a second read-through, I, I, I loved it. And I agree. Like, her navigation and 
her diplomacy, it's 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 beautiful. Like she does it so well. Like, yeah, which is which is interesting because she doesn't really she doesn't even do it know. on purpose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, it's just like intuitive. Her intuitive nature of like awareness for characters is is great and like what to do to please yeah, everyone. She, I guess she just does what she does, yeah. and people tend to like her. Yeah, and uh, you know, and it's not till later for you know when she starts learning new things about like how to maneuver in political situations among the Sedai that she starts consciously doing these things. Yeah, she doesn't but, even like level up that much at that point. It's like she already yeah, was doing it. She just yeah. now has names. Um, I for it. I also think like. You know, going back to what Rob said with Robert Jordan's style and the foreshadowing in this. Other uh, Rob. Yeah, that, yeah Rob, Rob Santos. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, there is a lot of foreshadowing for Egwene to become the Emerlin in this, but it's done deftly enough that you can just sort of read over it and not, and not be like, oh, she's totally going to become the Emerlin. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, know? yeah, you have no idea. I didn't, yeah. Well, at the time, you definitely it, it, have no idea. I'd say, yeah, yeah, hindsight so. is great. Did he like? I don't. I don't know. You guys might know better. Did Did Robert Jordan like have an idea at the end that that was at this point that she would essentially be? the Oberlin? I think at this oh, yeah, point yeah. he knew that Egwene yeah. was going to be the Oberlin in yes. counterpoint to Randall Thor as the Dragon Reborn. Sorry, my throat is because yeah. I <coughs> I always go back and forth being like I always go back and forth thinking like that Moraine was going to end up there at some really? point or something like that. Like wow, I did. I, I did think she like actually actually she got rigged on. No, so uh, yeah, it's, it's I, I always I always view the people. So, I'm sorry, I, like I always view people as like the reluctant power, the people that don't want the power are the ones that should have it, oh, sort of thing. So I always I view see. Moraine. Moraine is like ending up there at the end. That made that made sense to me, especially since you know Swan was her friend. It, it like she had so much rough experience with it anyway. But like, uh, I could see that, no. but but no, everything I'm aware of. Uh, as far as like the notes go, and and what Robert Jordan wrote like in early drafts yeah. and things, uh, he always planned for Egwene to become the Amberlin. Yeah, I think That's he fair. planned it, and he so. I think he showed it even as far as the Ravens prologue, in you know from the two rivers. Well, I mean, the Ravens prologue was written in. Oh, what, that's like, right. That was written out between like book nine and book ten. Now that <laughs> but, I think on it. Something yeah, yeah, like by she, that point, obviously. She yeah. was already the Amerlin yeah, in the series. Like that. When now I that I think on that, yeah. But no, like, she's foreshadowed to become the Amerlin in Eye of the World. You know, like, like Maureen yeah, makes a true. comment you about, like, your strength, someday. and if, you, if you're dedicated and strong enough, you could someday even become the Amerlin. Yeah. Like, she mm-hmm. says that. Um, but I, I want to kind of segue a little bit here, keeping in the Aes Sedai vein. Sure. To Varen. Varen, ooh. See, I couldn't decide if I wanted to actually write down points about Varen yet. But if you want to discuss Varen, let's let's do it, dude. So, I don't want to like go into like super hardcore spoilers about Varen, but I I think it may be a little unavoidable. Why not? I guess we're assuming with any discussion. Listening to this has read the entire thing. Yes. Um. So Varen is phenomenally deft in her interactions with Moiraine and Swan in yes. these early chapters. Yes, she absolutely She is, is. so good at uh, Disarming them. portraying a, a, an oblivious you know, facade mm-hmm. and using that to seed things into conversations 
that will manipulate Moiraine and Swan into going to certain directions. And only at a certain point does Varen say, all right, I'm taking the mask off. By the way, I know. Yes, yes. You know? Yes, I have a particular moment to discuss here. Go on, sorry. My question is then, she's so good at this. How or why does she slip up with Inktar? She slips up with Inktar. What do you mean? The first thing she says is, is an outright lie. Yes. I, I don't think that was that was Varen so much being an idiot or ignorant or making no, a mistake. I, I, so much as it was Robert Jordan saying, I'm going to show off and, and show that she is a dark friend and you are not going to catch it. I think that was Robert Jordan as an author choosing to foreshadow this even though it kind of goes against her character because Varen is, as, as Brown Aja, she's, she is absolutely kind of unaware of her surroundings. She's more focused on the scholarship, but she's not stupid enough to make that mistake, I don't think, to, to, to literally give herself away with the first sentence out of her mouth. I think that was just Robert Jordan saying, hey, check this out. So I, I agree. I do think Robert Jordan put that specifically there to be our big clue. Yep. But I still, like, I want an in-character reason. By the way, yeah, that, it, that might be the biggest hint that I have missed in all of epic fantasy for all time. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm there with you. I certainly, like, I had, um, uh, the theory that I had with, with Varen, you know, no, I'm not going to talk about this. We'll, we'll talk about this later on. Sure, sure. I'll just say my theory was close but completely missed the mark at the same time. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. You know, uh, but we'll get to that when we get to okay. that. <clears throat> I can't believe we're so. still in our character discussions, technically, but I have Inktar I want to discuss, and I have Moiraine and Lan, a couple points about them I want to discuss. Let's get Moiraine and Lan out of the way, I okay. suppose, just yeah, yeah, we've uh, already mentioned them earlier. I just want to say that I love, love, love Chapter 22, Watchers with Warren and Land. Yes. It's yeah. a little odd now that I realize they, do, they don't really get much page time in this one, but this chapter was a startlingly raw look at their chemistry without the filter of the benefit of, you know, the Iman's fielders when they're present. We, we learn more about their history. We, we begin to see, like, the first signs of stress in their professional and lifelong relationship as Warren probes for weak spots and Land's defenses. Uh, we see that Maureen right. is continuing to expand her vision, and she recognizes the danger of her chosen path. And I, th I thought it was a really cool scene, and I, I wanted to say that though it takes up such a short relative amount of page time in this volume, it, it provides everything we need to appreciate for where each of these two stand, both in their dedication to their cause and the beginnings of the wedge that the pattern is starting to drive between them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you there 100%. I, I also love that chapter. Um, it, it, I almost wish he hadn't written in the drag car attack. Okay. Because I don't yeah. know if it was <laughs> sure. necessary for that scene. Yeah. That scene already packed enough punch. And that was a point I had made. I had for, I, I was waiting to finish that so I could say, I also, by the way, forgot that the, that the drag car attack happened. Because for some stupid reason, I thought it ended before that. And every time it comes to the drop car attack, I'm like, oh, that's right, the scene continues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
So I only have one more character point, and this is another discussion for you guys. Sure. Yes. Uh, Chengu and Nidao. Okay. Oh, uh, can we? Sorry. Can can we postpone that just for one more minute while I get the last Moraine land point out of the way? Because oh. I have oh, sorry. I thought you were what done. You're, with, what yeah. you're about to say, I might actually have already highlighted with Chengu and Nidao. Oh, I okay. swear. <laughs> so let's just get land out of the way. I want to discuss land really quickly, really briefly. Land just, helping yeah, that's just brand to prepare cast for the land with. casually aside. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> the strangeness of that whole scene, and then followed by the humor, I really loved it. You know, there's, there's a moment where, at, where Rand asks his spiel of questions, and Land just ignores it and corrects it. He's like, three drops, sheep herder, don't pour it. Yeah. And we, we, get, we get this heartwarming moment where Rand gets the red eagle pin of Menethrin, and, and I quote from the text, there was no mistaking it now. The warder was smiling. There was just so many emotions yeah. in this scene that I wasn't fully appreciating as a teenager. I just it's like had it. It's like watching that scene in Field of Dreams where the, the father and the son start playing catch together. Field and you're like, oh, my God. I think I watched that in, like, ninth grade. In, yeah. In you know, it sticks with you. <laughs> That's you know, I so watched it in civics class. Sorry. Oh, no, I didn't watch Field of Dreams in civics class. That makes no sense. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, what? there's also that moment a minute later when, when, when Lan tries to enter with Rand to face Swan Sanjay. And I wrote down, what the fuck is this feeling? Affection? Like, for Lan? What? <laughs> this is this is weird. I don't like it. You don't like it? Why would you not I mean, like I mean, affection I do for like Lan? It, but that it, is awesome. No, no, sorry. I should say I do <laughs> like it, but it's just, it feels weird for somebody, of, of, of all people, I'll lend Mandragoran, the guy who is, like, in my head as the ultimate kind of masculine ideal. Is your childhood rough? Like... Should you? <laughs> Maybe you were here. We could, it, that, we that could, could be it. That could be it. If you need I it, I don't know. More affection. Well, so it's it's actually really cool that you brought up this idea of like the masculine ideal there. Yeah. Because one of the things that gets discussed the most about the Wheel of Time is gender dynamics. Yes. And feminism. For good reason. You know, they, they, this is something that Robert Jordan specifically addressed approaching his world building and. And you know, you know that's that's good. It, we should be digging into this. We should be exploring what was done well, what's problematic, etc. But at the same time, what gets lost in the mix? Robert Jordan also explores masculinity. Yeah. And this is one of those scenes. There's and and there is this formative moment for Rand learning from from land you know like rand has like tam as his you know like kind of father figure in his life who is great and then he repeats this over and over tam althor is my father tam althor is my father but we don't really get to see much of rand and tam be like you know son and father we get we get none of in this book like none at all and in a lot of ways land does become a stand-in father figure for Rand's previous stand-in father figure, because we know Tam isn't no, his no, father. He, it, it, and it, Tam, Tam is his dad. At, well, uh, depends Tam, on Tam on, is his this father. This is an argument of semantics here at this point. Yeah. yeah. So it's in these scenes early in the Great Hunt that Lan and Rand having their conversations and their uh, lessons, we get 
I think, a glimpse into Robert Jordan himself and okay, what he fair, saw fair. as masculine ideals and what he saw as being a man. This mm-hmm. idea of whatever comes, face it on your feet. You know, yeah. he, he's got this... Um, like, there's a stoic aspect to manlyhood for Robert Jordan. But these scenes also show that there's a vulnerability as well. I agree. That's that's you know, that's that's an absolutely beautiful point. I love it. That is great. And it makes me think like who the other stand-in fathers are, like Tom, like Yeah. Like Tom's a stand-in father oh, at a certain point, like yeah. Like uh yeah, I, like are there other like I essentially want I mean, you could even say <laughs> like who else you know, when oh, Herod Fell in start- some sort of weird way. You know, in book six, who just like he wants to sit down and learn from. It's in, in like a in like a sh- in like a shitty father way. You know, the character he starts hallucinating at a certain point. Like, oh, yeah. is probably a stand-in father figure. Like, I don't know what level of spoilers we're going into, but yeah, yeah. like that's, yeah, well, we, we go into any but, spoilers as long as it has context. But right. yeah, yeah, but like so so for for this specifically with Lan. Yeah. I think it gives us both a great insight into Robert Jordan, the man, and Robert Jordan, the writer. Interesting. Because this is him exploring, taking his chance to explore the dynamics of masculinity in a series that is mostly overwhelmed by, uh, for lack of a better term, the battle of the sexes. You know? It's because this is a male writer, you know, so a lot of it is him putting down his views of, like, feminism and, and, and like, the female condition, so to speak. And so there's not a whole lot of, like, universal male, uh, like, criticism, maybe, is, is the best word I can think of. And this is one of the few points in the series that we get that. So, I, it's, it's another I one agree. of the reasons yeah. that I love that scene with with Rand meeting the Emerlin oh, and yeah, the lead up to it. That is oh, absolutely you're, you're such right. that a is, great that is, scene. The, the way he interspersed like lines that Tam had said in his fever dreams, as the Emerlin was telling him facts about his life, and Warane was explaining the story of what Tam Althor had done. I mean that that whole scene just had so much weight to it. That oh, it was. Just, it was Listening astound- to it, it was an, even it was even an, listening an to it on scene. audiobook, there was not much else I could do with my hands just because it was just so heavy. Yeah, yeah, no, that was it was such a it was such a great scene, and I I I, I agree with Drew. Like in a series which, in my opinion, was essentially like flipping the script in a, in a world in which is essentially like what if it was a, a female dominated dominated society? Mm-hmm. Like what happens in like to masculinity at the end of the day, like it's similar but we just didn't get a lot of as many views of it and it, it was yeah it was great and i and i there's almost nothing i can disagree with so i'm just going to keep <laughs> drinking this beer yeah. so <laughs> before we continue i just want to get my my one quick point well two quick points about inktar out of the way before we move in mm. before to our you know deep lore with drew yeah oh well i still want to talk about but Chengu my pants Nidaf, are still but... on yeah <laughs> what was that drew you want to talk about what still Changu and Nidao. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly where I'm going with in relation Literally to Literally where we started, yeah. Yeah, yeah. D- yeah okay. for sure. So I wanted to say Ingtar is undoubtedly one of the finest characters, not only in this book, but in the entirety of the Wheel of Time series. And I think that's because of the character arc he gets over such a short relative period. 
I loved reading Inktar as a teenager. You know, his rhetoric about duty and honor, I found really, really duty. badass. And as an adult, reading with, if you want to call it more experienced eyes, I'm beginning to appreciate Jordan's strength with his character, particularly in terms of his ability to change someone so completely after you have the necessary information beforehand and reading them on a reread. And so there and is we'll the... get more into that in the second oh, half definitely. of this book for sure. Yeah, Why, yeah. you don't want me to, to spoil where Ingtar is going in this book? We've only read the first half of the book. Yeah, yeah I, wait, I suppose, but we've also been we're spoiling not discussing things from the end... ten books later and We're not discussing later. the end chapters of this book. Mm. So... Well, maybe if we I were will. doing that, we would just record one mega episode on the whole book. I suppose, but then why... We just talked about a whole bunch of shit in books 3, 4, 5, context. 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, context. 11, 12, 13, and 14. Well, this yeah, is in context required. with Inktar. Yeah, we as, before we talked about it, we then, said in hindsight or something along those tell lines, you this, so it was fine. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. Drew, if we cut this out, we cut this out. One minute, check this out. There was a scene this time around when I just had to stop in awe at something I hadn't noticed before. And... It was after what we got, what might be the darkest scene in the entire book. You know, the discovery of the skinned corpses of Changu and Nadal. You know, Inta, yeah, sorry, Intar. Intar did something that ripped my heart out when I figured out exactly what it was. And there's this moment as the party decides they really can't be much doubt that they're these two were dark friends. Changu and Nadal were dark friends, and they couldn't be bothered to do so much as bury them. But Ingtar recited the Shayanaran like funeral rites. And at the first time I read that, I assumed it's because he has so much damn honor. He's so ceremonial. And after that, I, I went on assuming that it was entirely due to the fact that like he fervently wished he could be redeemed in the light. But the brutal, honest truth, if I cared to look at it dead in the eyes, was that he felt guilty. Here he was, after their stand to defend Lord Aglemar at... Harwin's Gap alone. After their whole corruption by Padden Fane, they're flaying, they're skinning alive. Here he is allowing them to take the blame as dark friends for letting the Trollocs into Faldara Keep. And I just, I'm starting to think at this point that Changu and Nadao in particular are the unsung heroes of Shyanar. What do you think? So, I don't, I don't know about like the unsung heroes of Shyanar, but I... I do agree with your interpretation. I do not think they were dark friends. No, they weren't. Until uh, they were corrupted by Pod yeah. and Fane in the dungeons, right? Uh, I, I don't then, think perhaps. they were ever dark friends. Yeah, sure. They were set up like it's easy to read this book and see them as dark friends because they're they're jerks. Like Rand oh, talks they are about it. Like, absolute like, like, dickheads to Rand when he goes down yeah, there with Egwene. Yeah, for sure. Like, no like question. It's easy to That's see fair. them as dark dickheads friends are a because dickhead to a dickhead. because they go with the group. Everybody else who goes out of Faldara are dark friends. Like the whole group is dark friends except for Changu and Nidao. And it absolutely is. Ingtar says the the funeral right. Because he knows they're not dark friends. Yes. He's he already struggling. So terrible. Yeah, he's already struggling with his own allegiance to the shadow. You know, he he was only a dark friend by what he saw as necessity, right? Like it's you know, he talks about in these early chapters how long until the world is overrun. We're we're just delaying. 
it's hopeless. You know, that's his this whole thing. He he is a despairing man. And the Horn of Valir, to him, was his talisman of hope to draw him out of his despair. And so when he goes on this hunt to recover the horn, he sees it as an opportunity to anchor himself and bring him back. And he is so racked with guilt that, as Rob said, Chengu and Nidao are the ones taking the blame for Ingtar's own actions in Faldar. So. I don't disagree. Like, uh, and I don't feel like I can discuss more until like the next chapters. Like, <laughs> I, I uh, until the, the the next discussion on it because at this point my opinion is like I found him boring because. Like really? characters, characters that have essentially too much superficial honor, are boring to me until something else happens, and then you know at hindsight, at the end of the book, I did like him, and but I can't, yeah, because we're not discussing the later chapters anyway. Right. I don't okay. feel like a, there's much I can contribute at this stage. No, that's fair. Yeah. But uh... but I like again I I can caveat by saying I loved his arc. It's great, but up until what we've read now, I like I kind of blew him off as not really. Yeah, you know, it, okay. it, it's fine. It's like, yeah, it. I, I viewed him as cliche, as 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 a cliche for, for standard fantasy series fare, but his arc was not, and it it took it in a good direction, and I like that a lot more. But for right, what yeah, we have cool. read up until now, it's, yeah, I I I, I don't want to say blew him off. I say I'm neutral towards him, up until the level that we we're at right now. All right. Uh, so, do we have any more character points to go into before we go into uh, the lore nope. segment? I am completely done with my characters. See, Lanfear is dope. Lan <laughs> is the father figure I want. Yep, uh, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Nine so, uh, is amazing. Uh, should I ask my questions that. of you, Drew, before you go into your deep lore? Uh, or, uh, well, is it after just lore? in case I go over them while I'm talking? Through oh yeah, the lore you might actually. Follow notes you. that I have. Shit, yeah, hit me. Let's so I'm going to talk about, uh, like, kick it off with the Dark Friend Social. Okay, the Dark Friend um, Social. It's a weird name for an orgy. <laughs> so, for sure we see Ingtar here. Okay. For sure we see Ingtar Oh, for sure. We see Varen as well, right? Uh, unlikely we see Varen. Is that so, Leandra? Sorry, go ahead. I don't think we see any of Varen, Leandrin, or Alviarin. Because while this is happening, the group, uh, the whole group of Aes Sedai with the Emerlin is traveling to Faldara. Yes. And we know the Black Aja do not have traveling. They could not be at the Dark Friend Social while also traveling via ship up no, to Faldara with the no, Emerlin. No, that entire thing happened inside a dream shard, though. It could happen anywhere. You think that happened in a dream shard? Of course it did. It's, it was no. uh, Morden's dream shard, or not Morden, but Baalzamoth's dream shard, wasn't no. it? No. No. Uh, because, like, uh, Jakeem Carradine, Bors, had, yeah. like, saddlebags and had clothes with him and stuff. Uh, this actually gets explained later on. I think it's in A Memory of Light, maybe Towers of Midnight. There are places near Shale Ghoul with, like, the, what, like, the Z Zomara, the, like, weird Shadowspawn servants. Um, it's not in a dream shard. It it does happen. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, it's 
so the Aes Sedai there, we don't know who they are. The first time reading through, I was like, oh, yeah, it's totally Leandrian and, and you know, like all that. I just assumed that. it was Farron because of how much happens in this book. Yeah, but, uh, but it cannot be any of the Black Aja who go with the Amerlin to It cannot Fodara. be. It absolutely cannot yeah. be. I mean, how would they get there and back? Like, Well, they have ties to the Dark One. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Yeah, but, I have no idea. Um, and the other thing with it, like, I, I think Robert Jordan intended that to just be, like, anonymous Black Aja Aes Sedai, because none of, uh, neither of the Aes Sedai listed are given, like, descriptions of height or heft, you know? So, like, there's nothing to say, like, oh, there was a short, round Aes Sedai. So it's like, oh, yeah, that's Varen. <laughs> like, you know, there there's no bird-like Aes Sedai, you know, like, it, However, Ingtar definitely is there because we know he was on his hunt, so to speak, uh, outside Faldara. Yeah. Um, the other character I think we can be absolutely certain was there is the High Lord Weiramon. Yeah, the High Lord of Tyr, the boots, I think, gave yes. it away. Yeah, who is like, I mean, as we get to know Weiramon later in the series, like super arrogant, like, you know. Yeah. So, of course, he wouldn't hide hide his... A station when he's there. He wants to impress people with how powerful he is. Um, but I, I wish we had more information, like more details in the Dark Front Social so that we could pick out maybe like, who's the Seafolk guy? Who's the Domani noblewoman? You know, things like that. Who's yeah. the Tinker? Who's the Dark Friend Tinker? <laughs> right? I don't think it matters so much as... Jordan d expressing that yeah. people from all races and nations exactly. and sexes are devoted to the shadow in different ways. Exactly. Dark Friend Social is a great name. Oh, yeah. I love like that that's, name. I can't that is get a great name. It, it, it also kind of kills me that it's the only Dark Friend Social we get in the whole series. I know. We get Forsaken we get, like, Socials. Forsaken so exactly, but we don't get Dark Friend so like, So I, 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 I said early on how much I love that scene for like establishing how bad they are at communicating. But it, yeah. it brings up the point that I, I, I think about a lot when I'm reading a lot of series. It's like, how much do you know, how much do people know that they're like the bad guys? How much does somebody know that they're evil? Like that at what point is like, we're literally, exactly. I, yeah, you're right. Like they're all just greedy. They are, they just want to either survive or more power. It's, it, it's just like an interesting thing. It's like morals don't even come into it for any of them. And that's, yeah. I, I, I just love thinking about that with villains. Like, at what point do you realize you're the bad guy and accept it? It's like when yeah. you're in a dark friend social and it's, yeah. like, and it's like we're just talking about literally murdering three people and everyone's fine with and it. And the dark you know? lord of all chaos and pain yeah. and agony yeah. just taking over the pattern and remaking reality so, as he sees fit. So moving on uh, chronologically through this yeah. book. The opening wind sequence. Okay, yes. This is our first bubble of evil. Okay, good. That's one of my th one of my four questions for you. Okay. Yeah, it, it is our first bubble of evil. Okay. Which is a great band name, Evil Bubble, or <laughs> Bubble of Evil. <laughs> uh, that's really all I have to say about that, but, the you know, just... Because I, I know I've seen people, like, ask questions about it, and it, that is the case. So, um... Uh, next up, I have another like kind of popular misconception that I've seen you know, on the forums, on on Facebook, and things. Okay, and that is the 
the trap in the town as they're chasing after the horn with the flies, the dinner scene. You got my second out of four. Holy shit, you might just like dismiss <laughs> all of my questions here. Okay, let's hear it. So a lot of people talk about this and wonder, is this Lanfear's doing or Pet and Fane's doing? Could it be Lanfear's doing? What the hell is she? It is Pat and Fane's yeah. doing. Uh, yeah, this is this is a Mordeth power. Uh, you know, he's got weird weird stuff going on, and may maybe that just goes back to explain like the Dark Prophecy thing. He's got like some I, weird like anti shadow foretelling. Can I, I just say Mordeth is like the most cliche name yeah, yeah. ever? And that, that that's you know, it's it's just. A, yeah. Do you think he did Come that on, on purpose, or is that just an aesthetic? I think I think he went through a lot of phases, and there was things like you know, you know, there there's probably names Less like life. Kill murder, things like yeah. that. But it's just like, you know what, more death is the most subtle of them. So it's like, yeah, we'll go with this one. So so keeping on the subject, what was your question with the flies trap? Okay, so um, the arrival in the village where Rand has this blinking moment through this previous family's demise, like this kind of snag mm -hmm. in time or in the pattern where he kind of sympathetically links with that family and just experiences their end over and over again, where time seems to have, like, a a falling point, a, a snag there. Like, what the hell is happening? Is this... I uh, love my that. question was, is this another bubble of evil, or is this something that Fane had okay. to do with? Yeah, it, it was it was uh, Pat and Fane's doing. It was okay. a trap he left for Rand. And that is, confirmed, that is confirmed by Robert Jordan. Holy fuck, you just this... blew my mind, dude. A trap? Like, Fane was, yes. was aware enough of what he was doing he, by that point to actually yeah. lay this down and be like, Randall Thor. Yeah. Oh, Pat and Fane is evil genius. Like, that's fine. See, evil as hell. And, and, and oh, weird I, and I love it. Like, there's, there's nothing gray area about Pat and Fane, and I love that about, <laughs> about him, period. So I have, I have two more items. What was the trap supposed items. to accomplish, though? Sorry. So, it, sorry. It it can ruined I just say, land. like, do you think there could be someone called Medium Death? Like, instead of, like, but they're just like, you know, they're West just like, death? This, like they hit like a peak body count. And like, but that's I, enough guys. I still or like stick a by little question. What the hell was that trap supposed to do? It would have, it would have killed Rand. I mean, killed what, him? like he, he would have been stuck there for infinity. He would have like died of thirst and hunger. Like he, he would have been screwed. And he got out of it. How? With the power that is specifically like, he doesn't. This is another one of those instinctual things he does. The description of it is he's like, he he uses the power to like break through what he calls like cobwebs of steel and yeah. stuff like that. Where it's it's he's instinctually using the power to break out. I thought the cobwebs of steel were actually the power themselves. Okay, that was that was him erasing Fane's trap. Correct. Uh, it's the most pat on Fane way to kill somebody ever. Just yeah. like through infinity. Yeah, uh, stuck crap. in a in a dinner scene with like nice. a swarm of flies. Okay, oh, that's so good. Um, okay, so the last two things I have to bring up are uh, theory related, but are uh, more informed theories. So one of them is the arches, the silver arches used in the accepted uh, okay. testing, the, right? The Tirangriel. Yeah, yeah. And now we know from later events in the series that these are somehow tied to Teleronriad. Because they resonate with yes. the, the ring. With the ring that Egwene brings into them. In the and now, yes. we know that when an Aes Sedai walks through one of these arches, she sees her fears. Right? 
Yes. A, a, when, when it, or manifest. a novice. Yeah. Yep. It uses your brain against you. Yeah. Now. Much like beer. What this is. Exactly. Is a dream shard. The first I said I to walk through it was clearly terrified of what she would find on the other side. She went in expecting for her greatest fears to manifest. And she walked into a dream shard, and thus her greatest fears manifested in the dream shard. I don't know. That's fact, or is that speculation? It is is not confirmed fact, but it is informed speculation. I don't know how I feel about that. Like... The first person to walk through an arch would just expect that their worst fears would be. No, she was. Yeah, like, she was them. clearly scared. That seems like a bit of a. She went to in. Me. Okay, no, no, no. Like, why would you assume your greatest fears? I'm going to walk through this arch, and this my greatest fears of, are going to manifest uh, before me. That seems like a stretch. Be still, tiny dancers. But, Drew must speak. All right. So they were <laughs> terrified of all these Tarangriel they were they studying. Well, I said I were getting burned out left and right. Hundreds time. of years ago. This is like the first Aes Sedai to study this Tarangriel, right? They were so scared of it, they sent her in, and this is a quote from the book, with yep. every warding they knew how to make around this Aes Sedai. Yeah. They had no idea. I think it was Shiriam Sedai that explained this to yeah. Wayne, right? They had well, no, no sorry, idea. They were scared of what would happen. So they sent her in as protected as they could make her. You think that woman who's okay. like getting sent no, in no, no, with Drew, like Drew's a bunch of eyes that I being no, like, oh my gosh, we gotta protect you as much as possible. There, no, like, you're right, she yeah. was terrified walking. If they into were that. sending her in with every <laughs> ward they knew how, then she was scared and she was nervous. I, like, I, you know what? I agree with that. I can does that. booze not exist in this world? Like, just get her drunk, get her some weed. Just, <laughs> just like, give her a bit through. of brandy. Like, what is what's the problem here? Spiced wine. Yeah. Yeah. What's the problem? And and so the the. Because this is a fragment of Teleronry out of the world of dreams, Nynaeve going in uh, without knowing that channeling could burn her out isn't going to, like, craft the reality around herself where channeling would burn her out. Whereas this Aes Sedai who went in first and who was warded, right, presumably one of her greatest fears would be getting burned out. And so she was burned out. And then they sent in another warded Aes Sedai, and she was burned out, and another one, and she was burned out. And then they sent in one not warded, and she was like, oh, well, maybe, because I'm not warded, I won't get burned out. And she wasn't, because she wasn't expecting sure. it. Sure. You know? So, like, it, it's it's one of those things, like, the way Robert Jordan built the magic in this world, it gives him a lot of leeway to be like, things happen because people want them to happen. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and so that's that's become the use of this Tarangrail because the first woman going in was like terrified, so she saw her greatest fears and came back out and said, "I saw my greatest fears." So everybody else going in expected to see their greatest fears. Yeah, thought it was a Tarangrail specifically meant for that purpose. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, no. So so what this probably was was a training Tarangrail in the Age of Legends to send people into controlled dream shards. And, you know, have them have, like, a minor experience in the world of dreams. I can see that. And then come back out. 
So I, I just like a side tangent question on it. Like, does this thing just essentially create alternate realities as you walk in? Yes. Because like, yeah. so so <laughs> there's the eyes that either walk, yeah, the eyes that either walk in, and yeah, they they walk in and they just don't leave. It's like, like where's the downside to this? Like, if I walk into this, it literally creates my well, ideal universe. But then except it if you start worrying. If you start worrying, you recraft yeah, your that's universe. Not a, like, if my like, ideal universe is like a brewery, and I'm just drinking all the time, I'm not gonna stop. I'm not gonna start worrying about it. It's like, yeah, this is great. You, I, I mean, if if you were fortunate enough to never stop worrying about it, then great. Like, <laughs> but I I would imagine that uh, they they would eventually be like, huh. I wonder why this isn't changing. This is weird. And then start freaking out and start getting paranoid and then start creating nightmares around themselves. Yes. That seems fair. I don't know. But, That's but, fair. Okay. That, that in itself should be a book, actually. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so my be. last lore point is actually something that is not true. Okay. It is, it is confirmed not true. And I'm very disappointed about it. And this oh. is like a theory that I held for a very long time about the Kyrianan officer Kaldivwin who was in charge of the mining yep. operation out of Tremontian. Yep. I thought for sure he was Asmodian. What? Yes. What? And, and let me explain Why this. would you... How... Asmodian? So, a forsaken? What the... So, Asmodian, we know... Your reaction is hilarious. extraordinarily <laughs> interested you. in the male Choedon call. That was his main goal. Yeah. He wanted access to the main Choedon call. Okay. Why would he, he was, not put himself in charge well, of the excavation? Two. He, was t he two. presented it as, I don't know, I was told to, two. to mine this thing and I was told to bring it to the capital. You know, like, he That's just a story. invested in it. Like, That's just a story. Of course he wouldn't seem invested in it. Were it, were it as actually as Modi. Number two, he knows clearly nothing about Gareth Brine and Andor. No, no, I think he does. I think he was testing Rand to see if he was actually Andor it, nobility. No, so, so he, that is that is, a a uh, fair, a fair interpretation. But okay. that's the second the second point for like my why I thought this. The third point was, Lanfear met him, and immediately was like, I don't feel well. I'm out. Yeah, it's because he asks too many probing questions because he's a fucking ignorant dickhead. He fourth, okay. fourth, who does Lanfear drag with her into the waste? Asmodian. She knew where Asmodian was, and she went and recruited him. No, she Asmodian was searching out the Shwedin Cal. She just. We know from later points in the series that Lanfear was the one who brought Asmodian with her into the waste. Okay. So she knew where he was, and that was the fourth thing for me. I was like, these these four items taken together could have pointed toward Caldwin being Asmodian. As it turns out, the companion shuts this down. But this was a theory I held for a long time. Damn, uh, are you okay? Got... Did that hurt? Oh, when that feel? Found out. Uh, it, it hurt a little bit. It was. It, it did not hurt. I'll tell you, it did not hurt as much as another theory that I'll bring up uh, later in in the podcast regarding what? two heroes of the horn. A teaser, I see. Wow. Uh, yeah, I I was. You blue baller. Straight sure about that one. And uh, and again the companion uh, ruined it for me. But but so that those were my points on uh, kind of more obscure lore through the first half of the Great Hunt. Rob, what other questions did you have? Okay, so I have two more questions. 
I want you to set one thing straight for me. What is this phantom storm that Nynaeve is starting to feel? And it, like, because I think, like, if I remember correctly, it, this per- pervasive feeling of dread or impending doom carries on for several books. Is this a manifestation of Nynaeve's, like, weather sense? Is this, a, is this perhaps a talent that she has to predict, like, explosive happenings in the pattern? Or, like, what is this storm? That is exactly it. Uh, okay. So so there's listening to the wind, which is like, yeah, like, oh, you can predict, like, actual weather. So Nynaeve can listen to the wind. And an extension of that is that, like, yeah, she you know, can. she can sense storms. She can sense, like, world event storms, in quotation marks. Uh, and, and this actually, okay. like, spreads outside of just Nynaeve. Uh, apparently, like, other people in the world are sensitive to this. Um, it may or may not be a, a, uh, an ability of the one power. We get, uh, in some of those, like, ending epilogue scenes, yeah. in, like... A Crown of Swords and Path of Daggers, where like people are talking across the world and saying the storm is coming, the storm is coming, and this is a reference to essentially the last battle. This is this is the conflict. This storm that she feels is the conflict looming over the world. So sweet. Okay, it's good to know that I kind of at least appreciated that for remotely what it was. Um, yeah, no, it sounds like you had it. The, the, the last question I had was actually something that happened nearer to the beginning, and that was from Payne, uh, Payne's point of view. Wow. Fane's point of view. Yeah. Pain is a reasonable acronym for it. <laughs> there were moments in Faldara Keep that, according to Fane, he lost Randall Thor from his senses, mm-hmm. where Rand kind of vanished from his senses. It's when he was in the void. Yeah. When he was in the void, that is how he... Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's odd. So that's when he embraced Saeedin? Like, I don't get it. Not when he embraced Saeedin, when he was in the Void. And when he's in the Void, he's able to mysteriously kind of counteract Fane's positional sense on where he is? I don't... I think yes, I don't... That is that is apparently how it works. Okay. I will take that, then. That is apparently how it works, because I was just about to say, I don't get how quite... How, how precisely yeah. that works. Okay, but if because that is apparently Rand... how it works... Uh, like there, there are a couple of points where like we know Rand is in the void, but not necessarily embracing Sidine. Sure. And Fane loses track of him. We also know Rand was using the void quite a lot while training with Lan in Faldara Keep, whereas okay. he was not using Sidine. Yeah. You know. So. Okay. Okay. So that if, that's basically like the last question that I had. If Pat on Fane gets you know plot because he's evil, then Rand gets it because you know. Yeah, yeah, it's useful. Yeah, and so uh, we we have one more like very brief uh, thing to do before we go into uh, the final draft. Yes, and that is uh, we're going to be answering listener questions as we go through the wheel of time. Yes, because this is a pretty involved series, and I know a lot of people have questions. I may not automatically like list in my lore segment or anything. And this week we only have one question that we need to address. Is it what I'm wearing? I think we addressed another wearing. one earlier about the wind is, uh, the tower. It is from uh, Wolfen McCoy on Facebook. Yes. And he asks us to discuss the differences between the Horn of Valir and the Horn of Joramun in A Song of Ice and Fire. And he specifically asks in terms of what they mean to the story. And I think this is really interesting because oh, the wow. Horn of Joramun is, to me, uh, 
more of a plot device, whereas the Horn of Elir is more of like a MacGuffin. It was, it's like an item to chase after. Whereas the Horn of Joramun is, is like a Chekhov's gun. It's sitting on the mantle. We're waiting. You know, uh, so obviously spoilers for A Song of Ice and Fire here. Okay. Um, Hit me because I don't... This is the horn that is prophesied to, uh, when blown, take down the wall. Oh. That will wreck the wall that the, the Night's Watch guards. And in the show, they just use a dragon for that. Exactly, shit. yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, the horn was never in the show. Um, it, 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 that's much more of like a Chekhov's gun, something that we know is like looming over the story. Whereas the Horn of Valir is something that the characters are chasing after. It's it's a quest goal. It's loot, <laughs> you know, the, to use like a D and D term. The Pulp Fiction yeah. suitcase and, situation. Yeah. And it's not. It doesn't have the the narrative um, impact, perhaps, that uh, uh, the Horn of Jormund threatens to have in A Song of Ice and Fire. And we'll never find out about. Yeah, yeah. We'll see if George R. R. Martin ever finishes it. Um, <laughs> we'll see. I think we yeah, have to see. Like the Horn of Elir obviously plays a pivotal role at a couple of points, but it's not like it's not this omnipresent artifact in the series. We we pretty much forget about the Horn of Elir for like 12 No, books. I wouldn't say so. Matt keeps bringing it up in books 7. But but it's nine. it's irrelevant to the plot. It's irrelevant to the plot, but it doesn't yeah. make it irrelevant overall for for still... for like a 90 percent of the series nobody's I mean, paying attention the to the horn of valley matt is suffered by the Aes Sedai because he is a it's... horn blower no but so what <laughs> i'm talking about is from the reader's perspective sure sure like and I, for I us admit, i haven't we know the horn of valir like we're like all right well it'll come back for the last battle probably but like other than that we're like all right no, yeah we got a... more important things to worry about yeah, it's yeah. a plot device to meet brigitte strongbow who's amazing so <laughs> oh, and then yes. in a song of ice and fire for the reader the horn of Joramun is a complete Chekhov's gun it's like all right what is going to happen with this? Was it the broken horn that they found at the Fist of the First Men? Is it the horn that uh, uh, Mance Raider had? Like, it, what is going to happen? Is the wall going to come down? Like, this is a major plot point that we're expecting waiting to happen in the series. So that's my thought on the Horn of Valir versus the Horn of Jorma. Well, I, I can't yeah. say that I have a whole lot more to add because I... Admit I have not read a Song of Ice and Fire past book two. Oh wow! So okay. I don't, will don't. respectfully decline from commenting upon that. Don't even worry about it. It's fine. He's gonna die. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> He's not gonna. <laughs> I've, it. I mean, I've seen the entirety of the show, but I don't think that really pertains much to this particular but discussion. With that said, we are uh, we have blown past our all time longest episode here. My bad. So let's move into the final draft. Yes, uh, Chris. Sorry. And uh, Rob, do you want to kick it off? I'll kick us off. Yeah. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so <laughs> what I've been drinking has been, for the first time I think appearing on this episode, a bourbon. I am drinking Maker's Mark. Classic. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I've been drinking this one for a while, having been listening to, in particular, the Rooster Teeth podcast and listening <laughs> to <them> mention <laughs> it on occasion. And, I mean, I, mean, I, I went to the the store, I the liquor store, the LCBO Liquor Control Board of Ontario. I found this bourbon here, you know, with the the red wax dripping here and like the seal and everything. Oh, it's just it's it seemed like it was 
really nice, really old school. I, I wanted to try it. I missed it. Missed it. Listen to me. I've obviously been drinking a, a undue amount of this bourbon over the course of this podcast. I'm slurring my words. I can't really focus on one particular <laughs> train of thought at a time. But I mean, it's just it. I think that does nothing other than speak to its quality. I mean, I've been sitting here mixing it with a little bit of water. Splash of water been, at a time. I've been watching you do it every time it comes out. It's it's like, oh, oh we're going to get an interesting talking yeah. point very soon. <laughs> oh, man. This Maker's Mark, I've been drinking this for like a year, yeah. year and a half now. And every time I do, it's just, it's unrivaled. It's it's, it's a great, I, I would say, I would go as far as to say this is my second favorite liquor. Wow. On the face of the After that Glenfiddich? Just behind the Glenfiddich 12-year, yeah. uh, you know, single malt scotch whiskey. I mean, this, this Maker's Mark, this this medium range bourbon here, it just goes so good with a splash of water. It, it like, it, it's it's a, it's a rye whiskey. It's full flavored, easy to drink. Yeah, goes down nice. All right, uh, Rob, Rob yeah. Winchell, what do you Rob, drink? other Rob, <laughs> other Rob. All right, so, uh, what a, I I brought a couple beers and I've been drinking a, a large variety since uh since I got here. But the main one that I want to mention. The beer name is called Did We Just Become Best Friends? I'm putting Oh that. my <laughs> man, right here. It's literally called I'm going to I'm going to cheers you in the webcam right here. Let's do it. That's good. Yeah. Right and the the, the artwork nice. on the can is like two dude like a dude singing and a dude on an acoustic guitar with a a lion cub. It's adorable. And That's awesome. I mean is not friendship the point of these books? Is that not why we are all here? Yeah. I mean, I like it. I also just, I thought it was adorable. So it was more of a like, how do I tie this beer into it? And yeah, I it's, like it's that. a double. It's a very self-aware choice. It's awesome. Thank, oh, thank you. It's a double India pale ale, and you know, it's got the hops. Double IPA. Yeah. And yeah, I I'm also you know, drinking it right now, it, and it, it, it is definitely definitely hoppy. It's it's pretty hazy actually. Uh, although it has more of like the like piney. West Coast IPA profile, not so much like a New England IPA. I don't sure, know. sure. It's pretty tasty it, though. Like I just want to say, it has one of the like the greatest, most like indie rock like. Cup. Oh my like, gosh! Yeah. The like, like the 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 can that. itself is ridiculous. Can yeah. Here we go. It's adorable. Oh, look at Here the cute little tiger cub. Where's that? Oh, and cub? then and then they're they're rocking out next to it. There we go. Ah, oh, he's like on the little uh, guitar. That looks like yeah. a Fender <laughs> Telecaster. It's great. Yeah. Sweet. Drew. So. My uh, dude, what are you drinking, my man? What I drank today was a first for the podcast in, in this style, I should say. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, this is from Deschutes Brewery in Oregon. Deschutes. And I am drinking uh, what is essentially a guse, which is, uh, like, it's technically yeah, illegal for... Giant for, uh, in a bottle, I've seen you guys passing back and forth there and just swigging at it. What is this? Uh, like oh, so bottle. this wasn't that. That, no, bottle, that but, wasn't that. Yeah, but but no. So so this style, it's technically like illegal for a, an American brewery to like call their beer a goose. Okay. Um, because this is like a, a a trademarked thing over in Europe. But essentially, there's uh, there's a style called lambic, right? You're like it's a it's a traditional like European sour like wild ale. And what a goose is, is a blend of one-year, two-year, and three-year-aged lambics. You get a blend of those? Why the 
So 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 basically, you like you you brew a batch of it, you throw it in your barrels, you like ferment it, wild ferment it, whatever you want to do with it. Like uh, there's there's actually like a technical like whole uh, process to it, and then there's like an American version of it called it um, called Method Traditionale. That's like a twenty three step process. It's it's crazy. Holy anyway, crap. Um, but so this this is basically a blend of one, two, and three year aged. Uh, sour ales, lambics, and it is, it is indeed sour. It is a little estery. It has a little bit of that like Estery. Belgian kind of like uh, uh, like roundness. Uh, to me, it tastes like like a tiny bit soapy. Um, it, it's it's still really tasty. I mean, I soapy I is not the whole, an adjective. I like the whole bottle ever. Um, it, like if you like. Belgian like trapels, you'd probably love this beer, uh, or like saisons. Like uh, if you if you like like Funkworks saison, if you've ever had that, or or like uh, Colette from Crooked Stave Brewing Company or Artisan Ales, whatever they're called. Um, anyway, I went meta with this. It's called the Ages. <laughs> oh my god! I don't I get like it. it. I I'm just gonna, don't get uh, it. That's I'm that's too complicated. Face palming sound here. <laughs> There it was. Damn, I like that. All right. uh, So yeah, I I think that's uh, it's pretty much a wrap. This is this was quite an episode here today. Wow, what an episode we've had. Well over two hours at this point. I I feel like you're welcome. I can't stand up (laughs) because we keep mentioning Drew's deep. Deep penetration devices. Drew's deep lore. Very deep, so I can't stand up right now, but it's been a lovely episode. Going deeper with Drew McCaffrey. So, uh, yeah, uh, next up, next up on Inking Out Loud, we will be finishing off The Great Hunt. Um, Yes, we will. And yeah, we will have. This has been the first half. Holy crap. Yeah, we will have Rob Winchell back on as a special guest for that one. You're um, welcome. I'm not actually <laughs> yes, sure thank you bet. so much, Rob, for coming on. I love the fact that I've met you now. We just vibe so well. We're gonna have so That's much fine. to discuss in part two. Just please dress sexier next time. I don't have a lot to look oh. at. <laughs> Listen, I'm gonna do that just specifically for you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. I like vampires, sexy vampires specifically. Oh, so if you, you can do you're that, all about that'd be the great. emo vibe, like the, the, like the dark yeah. colors. I mean, literally, that's why I like Rand so much. I think so. we're making Drew a little bit uncomfortable right now. <laughs> that's probably fair. Well, no, I'm just in the middle of the outro, and you guys just hijacked it. So that's right. Well, you can't control. <laughs> let's let's go, Drew. I do not feel bad. Anyway, uh, yeah. So stop holding us up. Next up is the second half of the Great Hunt, and we'll have Rob Winchell back on as a guest. Uh, as always. Uh, please check out our Patreon. You know, we we yes. do put a fair amount of money into this. We have a really awesome sound engineer who the best. spends way too many hours of his time going through these ever longer episodes and cleaning uh, up after my filthy censoring. Mouth. Yeah, and uh, and we have a fantastic artist who's doing really cool thumbnails. Uh, Danielle, oh, she's so good. And and you know, like uh, this this Patreon money is going toward paying them. We're not using this to you know like fill our own pockets. So you know, please consider uh, supporting us there. As always, I'm your host Drew McCaffrey, joined by my co-host Rob Santos. Yeah. And our special special guest uh, Rob Winchell. Thank you. Yes, please contribute because I'm tired of putting out for these guys. <laughs> Thank you so real, much. It's getting okay. really real awkward. <laughs> yeah. So we'll uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody.
later skaters.